Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Stardom Cast Extra. Happy 2022. I'm your host, Rob Gunn, and I'm joined by Matt Turner. Matt, Happy New Year. Have you had a good one? Absolutely, sir. Happy New Year. How's everybody over there, and how's everybody feeling? Yeah, not too bad. Um, Unfortunately, I'm still testing positive for COVID, but no symptoms anymore. Um, uh, To be honest, the worst bit I've had is just a little bit sleepy. I've been fine the last couple of days. I was a bit worse for wear after we recorded our last podcast um i think it was just because i hadn't been used to talking for that long <laughs> since i'd had it but um yeah i'm fine my brother's got it he's suffered a lot more uh, my girlfriend's fine as well i come out of isolation on the 7th of january so uh yeah it's been a fairly uneventful start to the year what about your celebrations how did they get underway it went fairly well nothing really too crazy um i I think we talked about it on our last show. Literally everything happened kind of the way it did. It went bowling with my wife, my uh, brother-in-law, sister-in-law, and my two uh, nephews, 8 and 11. And we bowled four games, and I think I came in dead last in every one except for one. So the 8-year-old and 11-year-old whipped me pretty good. <laughs> but uh... Is this one of those where you say, I, I did it on purpose, I didn't want them to come last, or are you just that bad at bowling? You know, and I probably bowled like 200 times. It's just like something I just I just can't pick up. No, and they're like supreme <laughs> athletes. They're like all-stars for Little League. And it was like they're bowling like three or four strikes in a row and having the time of their life. But I'm like such a good loser just because when I used to play sports in high school and before that, I was consistent. Like our Little League team for like three years in a row with like one in 15 for like, yeah, three years. So it's like wow. I'm just so used to losing that. It was just like if you didn't know, like if you weren't looking at the scores and you were just looking at the six of us, you're like – Oh, that guy over there, is probably, he's probably winning because he's having the best time. It's just like, I'm, <laughs> I'm always happy. It doesn't take much to make me happy. So, But no, and my, my, new, my New Year's was good. It's always good, you know, spending time with the family. Then it was just a, a quiet night home with uh, just me and the wife. And um, that was, uh, you know, the next day you had to wake up and do extra cardio to get all the vodka out of your system. But that's just uh, to, to be expected is all. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what is New Year's if you haven't got a cardio the vodka out of you? Which, uh, just the just the thought of that makes me feel a little bit sick, I'm not going to lie. Um, I've ne- never been the best vodka drinker, um, just partly because it just tastes like the skin on the inside of my mouth ripping off. Um, 
But there we are. There we are. Uh, it's funny you should mention All-Stars, though, because, and check this out for a transition, we're talking about one of the All-Stars in Stardom. We're talking about Io Shirai and her... Wow, se- what, a, what a transition. That's what you paid for on Man. the Patreon here. Folks. Transitions <laughs> like that. We didn't even set that up either. That was wow. Oh, honestly, honestly, I don't think anything makes me happier on a podcast than an organic transition. And that just, it felt so right. It felt so right. Um, yeah, man, we're talking about Io Shirai. Um, obviously, thank you for paying and becoming part of our Patreon. We we truly do appreciate it. And uh, we thought, what better way to start off this Patreon than talking about one of the greatest reigns uh, with the World of Stardom Championship that there ever was, and that is Io Shirai's second run with the belt from the 23rd of December 2015 to the 21st of June 2017, a whopping 546 days. To this day inclusive, still the second longest run, single, single, longest run with the belt just behind Nene Takahashi with 602 days. Um, We've had the pleasure, Matt, of watching 16 Io Shirai matches. Um, And, you know, aside from the obvious, you know, the fantastic trilogy uh, with Mayu Iwatani and the fantastic match with Meiko Satomura and um, with Kairi Hojo, what is... What were some of the hidden classics? Before we get into the history and the nitty-gritty and start analysing some of these matches, what were some of the hidden classics? Maybe some of these matches from these 16 that people are like, oh, maybe I should check that out. haven't heard a lot about that. The Yoki Beto match from, I believe it was October 30th, uh, 2016. I only seen a little bit of her, and I think you were telling me like that to you that was a hidden gem. And boy, howdy, you weren't kidding. That was a hidden gem. The two Viper matches, especially the second one, I cannot wait to talk about that one, especially the fact that the title defense before was the second uh, Mayuatani match, which a lot of people think is the greatest match in the history of stardom. I'm a big fan of Shayna Baszler. I thought that match was really good. Uh, I, the match with a young Sugetsu. I mean, every single one of these matches was just, was that Tony Storm? Um, every single one of these matches was just excellent. Like, even the ones. We're just like, hey, he's kind of dismissive, but like you can see where EO pulls her opponent up in every single match. And no offense to anybody that she's wrestled here, but you can tell that EO Shirai here is the top, not only women's wrestler in the world, but this was at a point where a lot of people were talking, EO Shirai might be the best overall uh, best wrestler in the world. Like in the same conversation, you know, we're talking 2015 to uh, 2016 here. In, in our 2017, we're talking in the same breath as Okada, Omega, AJ Styles. And, you know, if you were to go back and revisit some of those conversations, I, I'd be hard-pressed to disagree that Io Shirai is not number one on that list because uh, these are just absolutely fantastic. Uh, the, every single one of these. Just what she does is she gets herself over, she gets the belt over, she gets her, her opponent over, and she gets the company over. She gets all four of those things over in every single one of this, these 16 matches. And I think I text you when this was all said and done. I said, this might be my third favorite uh, Japanese title reign in the last maybe 25 years. Uh, number one to me is Okada from about four or five years ago when he broke Tanahashi's record. I just think just what he did with the company and the two Kenny Omega matches and the Shibata match and the Suzuki match, I thought that's number one. Number two was Kabashi's initial uh, uh, GHD uh, title reign from Pro Wrestling Noah. 
But this to me is like number three. And you can take pretty much any, because I'm a big fan of long title reigns, but you can take any long title reign in the last 30 or 40 years and which one starts with a better match than the Mako match and which one ends with a better match than the Mayu, than the Mayutani match, then Io Shirai's. I mean, I think she has a book end. As far as long title reigns go, you take anybody that's had over, even outside of Japan, you take any of the Ring of Honor, the long Ring of Honor runs, you know, the Danielson run, the Samoa Joe run, the Nigel McGuinness run, the CM Punk uh, WWE run. I don't think there's anyone that has a better start and end to a long title run than this uh, Io Shirai run. I mean... You'd be forgiven, considering with the two title changes included in sixteen matches, you would be con- you'd be forgiven for assuming that at least, you know, that yes, she has maybe six absolute classics, but the rest of you know, eh, middling matches. However, you've hit the nail on the head here. She's so frighteningly consistent across these matches. I mean, for me personally, out of the sixteen matches, there was perhaps two. I was a bit like, eh, I could take or leave these matches. But you mentioned the Shayna Baszler one. That was fantastic. I I didn't expect a lot from that one, simply because of the way Shayna Baszler's come across in, uh, in WWE, especially on the main roster. But her match here, she felt like an absolute killer. And EO selling, I mean, it's going to be a obviously a bit of a thread throughout the entire podcast, but her selling is absolutely Phenomenal, especially for the big powerhouses, people like Alpha Female, people like Viper, people like Shayna. She sold like an absolute beast. I mean, even when she is a heel in this lat- in the latter part of the run, people are still cheering for her because it's impossible not to get behind her. And then, of course, you've got the fantastic storytelling in the Maiko match, the Kyrie match, and especially that Mayu trilogy, which, to my mind, is still one of the best trilogies and certainly the best feud that Stardom has ever had. So let's let's delve straight in, man. Let's go straight into this. But before we get to Io Shirai. This run doesn't start with Io, it doesn't start with Maiko, and it does not start with Kairi Hojo. In fact, we go back, all the way back, to Yoshiko and the 22nd of February at Corican Hall from Stardom Queen Shout. Now, at this point in the main event, and this will be a show and perhaps a match that we go into more detail about on later Patreon episodes, but most people are aware that at that show, Yoshiko went into business for herself against Akti Asakawa, and the match ended in a no contest once Yoshiko basically beat the living hell out of Akti Asakawa, broke her orbital bone, and it was a very, very unsettling match to watch, and in fact, it's got the nickname The Ghastly Match. Um, following that, Yoshiko was at first suspended, then had the belt stripped from her and then of course she was fired so the belt was held up and the tournament final um would see kairi hojo defeat io shirai at corrigan hall at stardom the highest 2015 which was a little bit of a shock i think people expected io to be the rightful person sorry the rival sort of heir to yoshiko's reign but no kairi hojo won went on to defend it against mayu uh, make us out more in a time limit draw, and then Takumi Aroha before then losing it at Stardom X Stardom 2015 to Mako Satamora. Now, at this point, Mako Satamora 
is effectively an invader during the Stardom versus Sendai Girls feud. Um, and obviously had beaten Kari Hojo. Kari Hojo, Mayu Iwatani, and Io Shirai are all part of Threedom at this point and are very much the pinnacle of stardom. Uh, Maiko at the top of Sendai Girls. She went through Io Shirai and then went on to completely obliterate Io's other freedom stablemate, Mayo, uh, Mayu Iwatani, in her only successful defense of the belt. The match ended 11 minutes into the match and it was stopped via a referee stoppage. Now, after that, Mako Satomura called out Io Shirai and basically said, for the honor of stardom, for the honor of your friends that I've basically just run through, you need to face me. And after a great deal of thought, Io stepped up to the challenge, which brings us to the year-end climax 2015, Mako Satomura versus Io Shirai. And of course, we all know that the match ends. Io Shirai defeating Mako Satomura in 24 minutes and 50 seconds. Um, I'll be honest, Matt, this wasn't a match I'd seen. It was a match I'd heard about, but this might be one of my favourite stardom matches. Alongside that trio of matches with Mayu, this is a real standout from this reign. This was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, when I got done watching this, literally in my notes, and I've already seen the uh, the trilogy, the Mayo trilogy going into this, and I was I was glad to revisit it. But I got done watching, it and I was like, that might be the greatest female match I've ever seen. Uh, and I think I might have said that three or four times during these matches. It was this was exactly what you want in a match if you're in the crowd because they take you on a roller coaster ride. You have two distinct styles. Obviously, Io has you know the speed, the quickness, the high flying ability. Um, even though she can mix it up with submissions and the strikes, but Mako is an absolute, just brutal, brutal striker. And they use that easy psychology for the storytelling. I mean, it starts off, Eos using her speed to take the advantage, and Mako basically just keeps leg-kicking her to take away her, uh, her advantage. There's an STF <clears throat> somewhere in the, uh, towards the middle of this match that she puts on um, on Eo Shirai, and Eo is selling. And not only her selling, but the offensive selling of Mako Satomura as well, it looks like she's going to get ready to like rip her face off. Uh, from there on, Io makes her comeback, and that's where you get the really, really good roller coaster ride from the psychology because now you're getting the crowd more invested into it. I mean, they were invested from the jump on this, but once Io starts making her comeback um, to build towards the finish, the crowd gets so hot uh, into in for, for Io's comeback, and you can tell they, are, they so want this title change. They respect Mako, but at the same time, as you alluded to before, Rob, uh, yeah, she's an outsider, and they 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 want to see EO crowned, and this might have been their story all along. Because yeah, a lot of people thought that EO was going to be Kari for the belt when they vacated it, but I thought that maybe this is what they wanted to do is hold off just a little bit to build it. This is the exact moment. If that's what they were doing, they definitely caught lightning in a bottle here because this was fantastic. And the one thing we're gonna and I, I'm going to say this probably seven or eight times during this uh, this podcast. One of the Awesome is the, the coolest things about EO's finishers is she hits a bunch of things in a row. And I'm always a big fan of that where it's like somebody has to use two or three or four big moves in order to put somebody away. And in this case, EO hits the insane elbow, Kari's finisher, her friend's finisher, uh, the, the person that Mako won the belt from, and then the moonsault for the finish. Uh, this was an easy, you know, if you want to put this on the Meltzer scale, this was an easy, easy five-star absolute 
instant classic that people should go out of their way to see. Having Io finish the match by using all the finishes of people that Mako had steamrolled is just... It's a touch of brilliance. I mean, she first hits the dragon suplex from Mayu and then the right. insane elbow from Kairi. It's just, it's such a great little sort of capping off of the chapter of this. It, it's tremendous, a really subtle thing. I, I loved Mako in this match. I got, to make a Western comparison, I got such Brock Lesnar vibes from it. Like she was punting Io around the ring like Dan Marino and just connecting with absolutely everything. At one point, she basically stood absorbing all of Io's offense until she tied herself out and then went in for the kill. And she reminded me that much of Brock Lesnar that she even does the little Brock Lesnar dance, which just tops it off for me. Um, But yeah, this was so hard hitting and it's a situation for Io that she doesn't find herself in for a long time, actually, in this reign where she is not only the underdog, but significantly outpowered. Like, you know, you've got Alpha Female, you've got Viper coming up who are a lot stronger, but you get the impression that Io can be quicker and maybe chop them down and grind them down. But here, Mako felt like a proper final boss where she had the power, but she's also so deceptively quick. I mean, there was one point where Mako transitions from a lucha arm drag into an STF. And it is the most beautiful transition I think I've ever seen in wrestling. It was beautiful. But then she'll hit these this litany of enormous suplexes, you know, literally folding Io in half, hitting two consecutive Death Valley bombs. You know, the thing that knocked out uh, Kyrie and the thing that led to the finish at Mayu. And you've got just that last second Io punching out the pinfall and Corican Hall erupts. And that's a huge thing in a lot of these matches. The crowd are so invested in EO. And you're right, with with obviously Maiko being a little bit of an outsider with the Sendai Girls feud, they do want that title change. And the crowd become, we've got a saying here in England, I don't know if it's the same in America, where the crowd can often be what we call the 12th man uh, when it comes to football. Um, and, you know, how the crowd react often sort of inspires a team. And I think that inspires EO here. And it's a great little add to the match. But this match never lets up. It, what an advert for stardom. What an advert. Um, and to be honest, as we move on from this match, it doesn't let up because her first defense of the belt, V1, is against her old friend, Kyrie Hojo, from the Stardom 5th anniversary show. Which, again, from Corican Hall, Io Shirai, the champion, defeats Kairi Hojo in 29 minutes and 31 seconds. Just 29 seconds short of the time limit. And this is a rather simple story in the tournament final. Like I mentioned, back in 2015, Kairi defeated Io to win the vacant belt. Um, then she lost the belt to make her and watched her friend sort of rescue stardom from the evil that was Sendai Girls. Um, and Kyrie basically asked for a rematch and a chance to redeem herself. Um, Matt, another fantastic match. Yeah, really, I'm going to get my only negative out of the way for pretty much every uh, EO vs. Kyrie match. It's an absolute shame that we did not get to see this on uh, WWE TV. It's an absolute shame. Can you imagine if like this was on Raw or SmackDown and they said... 
yeah, you know, we know the two of them have history. Let them go out there and give them 16 minutes. And then they come back like two weeks. And then obviously it'd be a classic. And then two weeks later, they're like, oh, that was good. Let's give them 20 minutes. And then let's build to a pay-per-view where they give them like 30 minutes. Like, I think with all the TV that they have and the production quality, can you imagine this match, you know, being seen in front of 12,000 people with another like maybe million, million and a half watching on TV? Oh, that would just be that. That would be amazing. But anywho, yeah, this is. I mean, what do you expect from these two? These two are absolutely fantastic. They're brilliant. And we talked about Io with her selling in her facials. Kari's the same way. The same way, especially when she's doing her comebacks with those strikes. I mean, she's like she looks like she weighs like 110 pounds, but it looks like she could knock out a UFC heavyweight with the, with the spinning back fist and those forearms that she just throws and the sliding D. Uh, I mean, her, it's not only just your, her defensive selling with her facials, but the way her offense is selling as well. She just keeps fighting through the pain and fighting through the pain, and she's trying to hit Io with everything she has because she, you know, she had the belt for just a brief moment, and she wants to get it, win it again. Uh, she has that crazy, insane spear as well. Um, just, just, it's, it just seems like it comes out of nowhere, and the timing and ring positioning and where they put in the match is just brilliant. Uh, the locomotion German by Io Shirai, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Um, in uh, Io winds up doing the insane elbow. I thought as if, hey, you know, I kind of use this to win the belt. Let me see. I can kind of use this on Kari. And then actually EO even kicks out of the insane elbow, which up until that point, Rob, I mean, you know a little better than me. Did anybody ever kick out of the insane elbow before EO did? Ooh, you're asking. You're asking there. Um, unfortunately, I don't know. I imagine someone in uh, on the Patreon will know. But if if they did, it wasn't very often. Yeah, they do. And that's a great thing. Stardom still does to this day, you know, in 2022 is they do a good job protecting finishes. And again, Finish two big moves in a row. Tiger suplex, top rope moonsault. Again, I'm going to give my uh, Meltzer rating to every one of these matches. This to me was four and a half stars. Uh, we're Absolutely along, brilliant. We're along the same lines there because uh, with the Satamora match, I also gave it five. And then with the Kyrie match, I actually gave it four and three quarters. Um, I love the dynamic between the two. I thought, if anything, Io was quicker in this match than she was against Mako, which I didn't think was possible. And I think it's because she's against someone so stylistically similar in Kyrie. Um, you're absolutely right about Kyrie Spear. I mean, for someone who weighs, you know, probably 110 wet through, her spear hits hard. And I mean, it looks even worse when she spears the post. Because genuinely, great camera work. They get it from the back on the outside, so it proper looks like she hits it hard. Um it's an interesting dynamic that even though it's wrestled hard and there are some strikes here that connect like really, really hard, especially from Kyrie towards the end. Um, but there's still clean breaks, especially initially. And it's, it's wrestle hard, but it's wrestled fairly, which of course is interesting following the Satamora match. Um, but then that changes slightly. Um, Kyrie takes a little bit too long sort of getting back into the ring after um, Io hits her with an acai moonsault. And Io gets a little bit annoyed with how long Kyrie's taking to get back in the ring. So Io drags her in and starts basically assaulting her back. And then Kyrie hits a moonsault, but loses a balance, which really enrages Io. She's like, don't use my move. What the hell is this? So in response to that, as you mentioned, Io then goes for... Um, the insane elbow, which Kyrie then kicks out of. And that's where we sort of get the volley 
of attacks. Like, Kairi lays in an absolute litany of spinning backhands, like just one after another. And that's that sort of rage that's bottled up. We started as friends. We started having this sort of hard yet noble match. And now it's sort of got a little bit personal. Um, of course, it's the debut in this run, at least, of uh, EO hitting the moonsault off the concourse way, um, which we will see on a multitude of occasions. Not that I'm complaining. Um, but EO ultimately is just too strong. She kicks out of uh, Kairi's insane elbow. Um, she goes for a second one, but Io gets her knees up. Tombstone power driver, package German suplex, tiger suplex moonsault, and Io wins, retaining in her first defense. Um, after the match, uh, a load of Gaijins and members of a Ouida tie flood the ring and square up to the baby faces. Um, Io then rather unwisely sasses them by saying she's the champion and is uh, subsequently leveled by Viper with a clothesline. Um, and that takes us to match three, but just as a footnote of match two, the fire and desire of both women, and especially Kyrie, made this a really endearing match. And this will actually sort of permeate into their second match, which we'll be talking about obviously later in 2017. But this was another one that I really, really enjoyed. We could we could go through this match and literally go through move by move by move by move, and we still wouldn't have done it justice. It's these two matches, these opening two matches, you do need to go and watch. Um I think the Kari Hojo one is on Stardom World, but I don't know about the Mako one or the other way around. One of them isn't on Stardom World anyway. Um but Matt, is there anything you want to sort of tie off this match with before we move on to uh, match three? And Eo's second uh, defense. Now, my friend, I think uh, I think we absolutely nailed it. Uh, just absolutely classic, classic match, and just a, a great way to uh, to start off. Uh, you know, the first version of her reign, or the first defense of her reign. We move on then to the fifth night of the Stardom Fifth Anniversary Tour, entitled Stardom versus the World Two, again from Corican Hall, where Eo Shirai defeated Viper in 16 minutes and 20 seconds. Now, this is completely different stylistically to the two previous matches because Viper, as good as she is, and she is really good, she's nowhere near as quick as Kyrie, nowhere near as quick as Maiko. So it's going to be a different match. But even so, and despite Viper being significantly more powerful than Eo, and, you know, especially early on, gets the advantage early because of that, I still think they do and tell a really good story in this match, Matt. Yeah, they it's, they do. I mean, again, it's another simple psychology. You know, it's Viper's the the bigger heel and Eel's the smaller champion babyface. And it's uh, there's a lot of brawling, you know, on the outside to kind of get started. Uh, once Eel gets rolling, every time the psychology of this is really good in the beginning and to the middle. Anytime Eel gets rolling with a whole bunch of things, Viper just hits like one strike to like a clothesline to put her down or a body block to put her down and she just keeps kind of, you know, staying on EO, staying on EO. EO gets EO, might get one or two things in, boom, she's back down. And this is where EO really has to embrace her ugly side because then you just see EO just firing up with these vicious, vicious, tight strikes. And they actually wind up busting Viper's nose open. Um, and then there's a point, too, where she's on the outside and EO does this beautiful triangle moonsault where she just basically almost flawlessly runs to the uh from the inside to the outside post and does that you know picture perfect moonsault and again 
EO always does a whole bunch of things to finish her opponent off, and she hit a big German suplex onto Viper, and not one, but two moonsaults to get the win. Again, simple story to tell. Everything was well done. She made Viper a legit contender for that belt to a point where, boy, I, you know, maybe that somewhere down the line, if Viper gets, gets a rematch, and obviously, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you'll know towards the end here she does, where it's like EO brought her up to the point where maybe if that, when that rematch does happen, she can win the belt. So EO did a great job making Viper look really, really good here. And Viper obviously did the same way for EO. I gave this one four and a quarter star. Yeah, I, I, we're along the same lines there as well. I gave it four. I thought Viper did a tremendous job. And EO, obviously, you know, again, we're going to be talking a lot about her selling, was just absolutely tremendous. I thought she managed to counter someone who is significantly bigger, you know, a completely different body shape, a completely different size. She combated that extremely well. Now, obviously, Matt, you are a wrestler. How do you have to change your game when you're battling someone with such a significant power advantage over you? What what do you have to change? How does that change your game? You use your speed. I mean, you kind of you use your speed. You don't want to go toe-to-toe with somebody that you know that you can't outpower. Um, and obviously, there's certain points in the match where if you can kind of find an opening to use maybe your striking power, as EO did here, and obviously work as you wind up busting, you know, Viper open. Uh, that's basically, you know, where you want to find your you find your opening. You don't want to, you know, if you're going against a catch wrestler, you don't want to try to submission wrestle them. If you're going up against a high a high flyer, you're not going to try to outfly them. Now, Grant, there might be points in that match where you might be able to get a hold in or like, you know, a high cross body in or something like that. And that's basically kind of what EO did here. Uh, she, you know, she used her speed, she used her quickness. And then when it was time to, to kind of use her power, which she did with the German suplex, uh, she did that to put Viper down down long enough where then she can go back to her bread and butter, uh, which is uh, which is her moonsault. And then she wound up using the two moonsaults, which I thought that was a great little little thing. Like, she could have hit her with one. I think everybody would have been okay. But the fact, oh, she had to hit two, you know, to beat her, which just basically just shows, like, how tough an opponent Viper is. It's something she mentions, actually, in their second match, where she says, Viper, is that powerful that I have to use two of my best moves to keep her down? So she does put, Viper over for how strong she is. Um, I'm not sure when Viper got bust open in this match. I've watched it twice and I still can't work out where her face busts open, but there we are. Um, the fact that EO, despite the significant disparity between the two bodies, despite the fact of everything, EO is still able to hit a deadlift German suplex on Viper. And that's that's a phenomenal thing to be able to do. That's incredible power. And she shows that in a couple of other matches that we're going to be looking at. But especially here, the first time I saw it, I was like, that is ridiculously impressive. Like, ridiculously yeah. so. Um, yeah, when you're, doing, when you're doing that deadlift, German, your opponent's giving you next to no uh, give. They're giving you next to no boo. So that's pretty much like 95% all you. And considering the fact that Io Shirai does not look like her next opponent in this match, <laughs> you know, <laughs> a, big, a big weightlifter, that just goes to show you, it's like, you know, Io, she's, she's so good with the high-flying stuff, you know, the, the springboard drop kick, you know, the 619, obviously the moonsaults, but boy, she throws some wicked, wicked suplexes. She does. I mean, especially when you consider the amount of stress that must have been on her back during this match, because this, all of Viper's offense is impact moves. The snake bite is an impact move. The splash, the Vader bomb, or the Viper bomb, as she calls it, they're all impact moves. So she's taken a lot in this 16 minutes. So to be able to then deadlift into a two into a two count is is 
really, really impressive. And honestly, I'm, I've seen a lot of Viper on the British indie scene and obviously, you know, in stardom as well. And she's always, always impressed me. And I think it's criminal what we're doing to her in WWE, but that is a conversation for another time. Um, two moonsaults and EO retains another really impressive match. We then move on to her third defense, which is the fourth match in this chronology, defeating the old champion, Alpha female in 13 minutes and 18 seconds on the 26th of March 2016 at Stardom Grows Up Stars in Nagata, apparently the first time that Stardom ran that prefecture. Now, a little bit of background on Alpha Female. She is the former second Stardom, World of Stardom champion. Uh, she returned after almost two years of absence at Stardom's The Highest 2016 show to defeat Viper in a battle to see who was Europe's strongest, a match she won under dubious circumstances, let's say. Um, after Thunder Rock, which is Mayu and um, Io, successfully defended their goddesses of stardom championships against Maiko Satomura and Kairi Hojo, Alpha Female arrived in the ring to challenge Io for the World of Stardom Championship on March the 26th in Nagata, a rematch from three years ago when Io ended Female's run with the Red Belt with a successful title defense still to this day the only person to have the wonder of stardom title and to lose it without a successful title defense which adds a certain level of revenge that alpha female will want to take out on eo um this to me this match is in a very similar vein to the viper defense because of the disparity in power but what did you think about it, Matt? It wasn't bad by any sense, but this was probably the weakest of the matches. Uh, just because Alpha Female, she's... And I know she's wrestled over here in the States as Jazzy Gabbert. Uh, I believe I have that right. And I think she was in the one of the May Young Classics. And then afterwards, I think she got signed by WWE. And whatever they were doing to her, she was getting over. She was getting over with the crowd really well. And then I just don't know what happened. If she got injured or whatever, they just pulled the plug off her. But you can kind of tell, like, outside of her power and her look, there really wasn't much there. But she, again, she's different. She has a completely different look than not only than any other female on the stardom roster, but just about anybody, in, you know, in a female roster anywhere. Um, she looks intimidating. She looks like she can kick your ass and probably can. But, again, I thought they did a good job by only keeping this, was about you said, about 13 minutes. Uh, it was 13 minutes and, just let me get my notes back up, 13 minutes and 18 seconds. Yeah, so they did a good job not overexposing her. I think anything like maybe over fifteen, it would have uh, it would have exposed Alpha Female. But Io does a good job selling, you know, making sure she looks good, making sure that uh, everything in this match makes sense. Uh, the one thing I definitely want to point out is Io before she even hits the ring is so over with this crowd. Just from her entrance alone, I mean, she is so over. You can tell this is a superstar. We're on our way to a a fun fun uh, title reign. Um, again, there wasn't. It wasn't really too much to this match. I did like Alpha Female's torture rack uh, through the crowd. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I like how Io, towards the end, you know, she's building she's building her strikes. She has she has a whole bunch of buzzsaw kicks. Uh, she has a German suplex for the win. And I thought it was cool how they presented her with a bag of rice after the match. But this one, to me, I just gave this one three and a quarter stars. Again, it wasn't bad, but compared to everything else on this run, it was, to me, it was just forgettable. Yeah, I agree. Basically, what I've written in my notes is this is 
the Viper match, but Viper is more mobile and a little bit more um, inventive when it comes to moves and things like that. You, you're absolutely right. Alpha Female does rely a lot on her her look, sort of a lot of lariats being thrown, a lot of shoulder tackles, things like that. Um, the only real variation that we see is um, Jazzy Gabert trying her Omegaplex. Um, but aside from that, and aside from the introduction of a chair, which didn't make a lot of sense when you think it probably ended in a DQ, but there we are. Um, I put that down to Alpha Female wanting a little bit of revenge on the embarrassment that EO caused her. Um, apart from that, there's there's not a great deal to talk about. And there's, again, there's only really two matches in this run where there's not a lot to talk about. And it's unfortunate that this is one of them. Obviously, Alpha Female, the you know, a previous World of Stardom champion, but I'm I'm on board with you. I think three and a quarter, and it's a serviceable title match, and it's it's mainly for Eo's ragdoll like selling of Alpha Female's offense, making her look like a juggernaut more than the way Alpha Female came across. Um, I think that's probably the best way to put it. Let me ask you this, Rob, real quick before we go into the next match, which is an absolute banger. I obviously, and I'm sure somewhere down the line on one of the Patreon episodes, we'll cover her. Uh, EO's of a V10 uh, title run mm-hmm. where she beats Alpha Female for the belt. But this match and that match, she doesn't beat her with the moonsault, which is weird because you have such a bigger competitor. You figured she would hit the stiff kicks and then go to the top rope for the moonsault. Do you have any idea? Like, you know, what's did that did, did that pop into your head at all? Like, that's EO's best move. If you're going to get beat by the champion, you want to get beat by her best move. And here, EO doesn't hit it here or in the match, you know, years prior. Honestly, it's when I first saw it, and unless I'm very much mistaken, she beats Viper the second time with a German suplex as well. So I don't know whether it's almost like an ego thing where she wants to show, yeah, okay, these people are significantly bigger than me, but I am still powerful. I am still the champion. I'm still number one. As though it's sort of that thing, approving herself thing. Um, or whether it was just for the crowd, that sort of wow factor of, do you know what? Alpha female's bigger than me, but I can still German suplex her. Maybe. Or, you know, it could be something simple, like alpha female didn't want to take the moonsault. Yep. That's exactly what I was thinking. Maybe she just didn't want to take it. But get what you said about Viper just a few seconds ago. We will. I can't wait till we can cover that because <laughs> I think the whole match was just built around that. I know we're jumping ahead, but that's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, huh, how come in these two matches, and they're both for the biggest belt in the company, and she's wrestling the biggest star, in my opinion, in the history of the company. Mm-hmm. So how come she didn't want, I mean, you know, I don't know, maybe if you hurt her back or her knees, or my thing was maybe she just didn't want to take it. She didn't feel safe. So that would be my kind of just uh, theory on it. I just thought that was kind of odd. Um, well, let's move on then. So we move on to match five in uh, our little run, uh, and it's her fourth defense against Mayu Iwatani at Stardom Gold May 2016. Um, at Corican Hall once again, with EO winning in 21 minutes and 54 seconds. Now, this trilogy with Mayu is one of the best things that Stardom have ever done. And if you go back into the podcast archives, myself and Chris actually went through this trio of matches in a little bit more detail and actually sort of wax lyrical about how fantastic the story is. And I 
have to shout out um, Armani Shoe Exchange, who has given me a lot of information regarding this rain in general, and especially the Mayu feud. So thank you to them. And go and follow them on Twitter, because they are an excellent Twitter follow. Um, but in terms of this friendship, uh, Mayu and Io were inseparable. Um, after Shirai took Iwatani under her wing, after her, let's call them inauspicious beginnings. Um, and the pair created Thunder Rock, perhaps the most successful team in stardom and maybe even perhaps Joshi. Um, it's important to note, and you'll see why, that a lot of Mayu's personality is incredibly impulsive, as proved by how she got into wrestling in the first place. She went to a Dragon Gate show and was like, right, I need to go, to, I need to go and become a wrestler now. And she left... Tokyo. I don't think she told her parents she was going. She left them a note and just was there straight away. It was an impulsive thing. But also in her moveset where she could be a little bit too ambitious, sort of writing checks her her body couldn't cash. Despite this and despite everything, despite how much EO cared for her, it was still seen that Maya was naught but Eo's affable goof of a sidekick. Um, however, Mayu progressed magnificently and ended up winning the 2016 Cinderella tournament, uh, with her wish being to challenge her friend for the red belt. Uh, Eo agreed, but very much saw this as an easy ride heading into the show. Um, and thus begins one of the greatest rivalries. Uh, Matt, what do you think? This was fantastic. Holy jeez, this was great. Um, they get going. Obviously, there's there's respect between the two of them. They start out with some nice chain wrestling. Eventually, EO winds up get, gets going. EO hits a suicide dive. And I got to say, from watching 16 of these matches and a whole bunch of her matches, EO probably has the sweetest suicide dive between the second and third rope. It, lo- I, it She just looks like a swan going through the second and third rope. It's absolutely beautiful. So she hits this suicide dive and just wipes out Mayu. And she goes to the top rope to hit the top rope moonsault on the outside. But Mayu, she, she knows Eo. So what she does, she gets up all of her strength she's got left to stop her. Uh, they want to do an adjournment on the floor. Eo winds up uh, getting the advantage on her. Uh, starts hitting her with some stiff kicks and just taunting her, taunting her, taunting Mayu eventually gets fired up. She gets frustrated. Big, stiff form exchange. I mean, they're just going back and forth, clobbering each other. EO gets back on the advantage, and she puts her in this crazy high-angle cloverleaf, just working on Mayu's back. Um, eventually, they work their way out to the apron. Mayu Tani hits her beautiful dragon suplex onto the apron, teases a countout. We're almost going to get a countout victory. As soon as EO comes back in the ring, Mayu stays on her. Got to stay on that neck, stay on that, uh, stay on that back. She hits a big German suplex, and then she goes for the top rope uh, reverse Rana or poison, poison Rana. And they kind of messed that up. And I was like, oh, that was the only little hiccup in this match because it was getting going. Mayu was, she was not only getting the, the crowd into it, well, she was getting the crowd into it by, by her comeback. She, you know, she hits the apron dragon. She hits the big German as soon as EO gets back in the ring. And then she goes for a springboard reverse Rana and they mess up the spot. And they had the crowd right there. It didn't take them long to get back in the ring, get, them, get it back because Mayu winds up hitting the, uh, the frog splash for a near two count. And then she goes for the stage two dragon suplex, her finisher. And then EO counters it into a stage two tiger suplex. She hits the arm capture German suplex and the moonsault for the win. I had this at four and three fourth stars. And in my opinion, this was the worst of the three matches at four and three fourth stars. Do you know what? I completely agree. Um, 
as the start to a trilogy, it is perfect. And the story they're trying to tell is fantastic. I mean, it's amazing having embarked on this sort of retrospective, just how much EO's offense has inspired how Mayu wrestles. And, you know, especially even more today, she's taken so much from her and put it into her own arsenal. But, you know, everything from the pre-match comments show the disparity between the confident EO who is giving, you know, giving off the, it'll be a good match, but I'm definitely going to beat her vibes. Whereas Mayu is just a ball of nerves and anxiety. And that plays into that start where Mayu accelerates into EO, almost trying to channel that nervous energy but he's also the first to give up attempting to out-wrestle Shirai before they start laying into each other with ridiculous strikes. You know, we talked about how they know each other. They've been it's inseparable for years, and that's why we get so many reversals to start with. But that impulsive nature that Mayu has, there's a couple of points here where, for example, they start, they had previously had one singles match, which was in the previous year's five-star Grand Prix, went to a 15-minute time limit draw. So just before the match starts, Mayu says she doesn't want a time limit because the pair of them know each other so well. The match is only 21 minutes, but goes to show Mayu's impulsive nature. She doesn't go into this match with a plan, and you can tell. She just sort of thinks, do you know what? I'm a good wrestler. I'm just going to go in. I'm going to throw shit at the wall and see what sticks. And ultimately, that is why Io can take her apart. Because despite how good a wrestler Mayu is, when she runs out of ideas, she panics. And that's so important going forward because that will be something that plays into especially the third match. And there's one point in particular. She locks in that Texas Cloverleaf and Mayu is scrabbling. Mayu is panicking. You know, you think, oh God, she's going to tap out. Come on, get to the rope. And we are going to get to a point where that happens in the next couple of matches and things change and I can't wait to talk about that but ultimately after this match it it almost gets embarrassing at points like Io targets that leg she launches Mayu into the corner and Mayu collapses can't even make it to the corner and Io's literally crouching over her as though to go really this this is your challenge okay um Mayu can't get her two-step dragon suplex off, but does hit that crazy dragon suplex on the apron, which will, of course, be a running theme throughout this trilogy of matches. Um, but ultimately, Tombstone Power Driver, one moonsault. One moonsault is all it takes for Io to punish Mayu and come away with a victory. I mean, Io said at the start, it's going to be, we know each other so well, it's going to be the first person to make a mistake. And Mayu was the person who made that mistake. Um... Post-match, Mayu gets comforted by Io, almost condescendingly. I don't know if you got that vibe as well, but the vibe I got was very much of, right, you had a go. Okay, well done. But now, go back to, you know, where you belong. The tag division, the high-speed division. You know, let the grown-ups play with the red and the white belt. Um, and after that, Oedetai Kigetsu and Kyoko Kimura storm the ring, challenge for the tag belts, which does play into their... Uh, their second match, uh, Mayu and Eos, later on because Oida Time would take the Goddesses of Stardom belts from Thunder Rock um, at the next Corican show. Um, but yeah, I thought this tremendous. I thought it was a great start, and I completely agree with you. The best is yet to come from these two, but I loved the EO domination almost 
placating Mayu until Mayu got a little bit of a footing in the match and he was like, okay, this is getting out of hand and sort of lets it, lets it rip. Um, Mayu felt very much like a child, like that sidekick in this match um, in a way that she doesn't in those next two matches, Matt. Yeah, I just this this was just excellent. This was just absolutely excellent. Um, and again, I've seen all three of these matches a few months ago. It was great to kind of just watch it as the story progressed, not only with the trilogy, but with these 16 matches. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Absolutely. So from there, we actually move on to Stardom's tour of Europe, where they sent Freedom to sort of solidify relationships with a series of European wrestling companies. One of those, and I'm going to try and get this right, the promotion that they're working with is the association Bitoua de Catch, which is, I believe, a French company. I believe. And the name of the event that we're going to be talking about is, okay, ABC Foim as in four, E-M-E, Gala International de Catch Feminine, Stardom Europe, Night One. Sure. Exactly what I, that's exactly what I've written down here, note for note. <laughs> no, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Sure, you got it, absolutely. I mean... Nailed it. <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> but yeah, this obviously is leading to... It, this was more of an exhibition defense than anything else, with Io Shirai defeating Casey Owens in 11 minutes and 43 seconds to achieve V5, her fifth successful tile defense. Now, I don't know a great deal about Casey Owens, Matt, but at the time of recording, she's the current EVE Pro Wrestling International Champion. Uh, she had runs in Ice Ribbon, TNT, as well as ICW Progress and Rev Pro here in the UK. Um, and I believe she's been um, in NXT UK. I think she's wrestled three matches in NXT UK, all in losing efforts against uh, Ginny, Nina Samuels, and Kaylee Ray, who's actually ringside for this match and is the next challenger after this match. Um, but we talked about the alpha female match and not having a great deal to say. Again, I stress this was pretty much an exhibition match and, yeah, didn't really get into third gear, did it? No, I mean, the first thing is whoever promoted this show, shame on you for forgetting to tell people that uh, on your promotion, <laughs> on your posters, or wherever you did to promote it, that one of the greatest overall wrestlers in the world is going to be here. Because I think there was, I think me and you were talking, there was maybe 60, 70 people there, if that. If that. So, so shame on you. But I think basically what happens is kind of just getting the mindset of a wrestler is, and it's great that, I mean, I'm glad you did that research on Casey, Casey Owens, because she looks like she has potential here. And I'm glad that she's still working and she, you know, Ice Ribbon, WWE, NXT UK. So she's obviously working a lot of the bigger, bigger federations. So good on her. But I think this is how this came across to me is when they were putting this match together, Eo was like, okay, what do you do? Or they were in the ring, maybe kind of just trying to see what they're going to do. And Eo was like, okay, she can do A, B, C, and D. And that's about it. I'm not going to try to do, you know, X, Y, Z. She can only do these couple things. We're going to focus on that. We're going to make sure the match makes sense. We're going to make sure nobody look, nobody gets hurt. We're going to make sure the crowd has a good time. And basically, that's what happens. It's, yeah, and it doesn't really get out of, get into like the high gear. Io does a good job, basically, 
uh, making a basic match. There's great technical wrestling to start. There's a good stiff forearm exchange that once Io gets the advantage of, the crowd gets into it. And from there, they pretty much just take it home. Arm capture German suplex for the win. Uh, again, there was nothing bad about this match, but compared to every match that we see in this, where it's just like you see everything twice, and it makes sense, and it builds. Again, you could. I think that Io just realized that she couldn't go too crazy in this, just because I don't think Casey could keep up. Uh, but again, you see the potential. You see the potential, you know, five, six years later. So again, this was solid. They both worked hard. I gave this three and a half stars. I think you were a little bit more generous than I was. I gave it two and three quarters. Um, I, I don't know. It was. I don't know whether it was the setting or um, whether it was... You could tell, or at least I thought I could tell, that Io was on autopilot in this match. Um, you know, nothing outstanding, really, in this match. It was solid, absolutely, and nothing went wrong, but they seem to be wrestling at two very different speeds initially, and I understand it's very difficult, and we're going to talk a little bit about that with uh, the Kaylee Ray match next. Um, there was moments, you know, um, Io hitting the beautiful standing moonsault and the handstand knees, especially after she just bought Casey's attempt at doing the very same move, but it just it felt very... Very, very exhibition. There was no chance Io was losing the belt here, not in front of, you know, 12 people and a dog in uh, in a gymnasium in the middle of France. Um, especially, I couldn't get my, I couldn't keep my ears off the crowd. I, at points, I realised I completely lost the match because <laughs> at one point, there was three different claps going at three different beats which was really frustrating, especially as, you know, that's like 12 people. How can you not clap in time? And secondly, one person, and I feel for this person, I really do, because they tried so hard to get a fight Owens fight chant going. They must have tried three times, and he was the only one. He was the only one who who even bothered. And then at one point, I think someone locked in a Boston Crab and he started chanting Y2J. And... Again, just on his own. It it was a very, very, very sad state of affairs. Um, you, you mentioning whoever forgot to promote this show. You're absolutely right. So someone needs to be shot for that because it just it was not promoted at all. That that gym could have legitimately held 300 people, and I doubt there was a full 60 people there. Um, especially when they showed the hard cam footage. You know, like oh my god, there's just literally 10 people sat in a row. Oh Jesus Christ. Um. But yeah, this is uh, this is nothing special, and uh, I learned how to say the name of the event for pretty much no reason, Matt. Me and Rob, to everybody listening out there, me and Rob do pretty well uh, gel on everything and agree on everything. But I don't agree that uh, anybody should be shot. So that's uh, <laughs> that's. that's... <laughs> I do not condone the shooting of people. Okay, got it. <laughs> maybe I don't know. Maybe with the potato gun. Maybe that. <laughs> Um, we move on then to match seven, which of course is V6 for Io Shirai, and that will be against Kaylee Ray, Scotland's own, uh, from Five Star Grand Prix 2016, night eight, once again from the hallowed halls of Corican Hall, with Io Shirai defeating Kaylee Ray in 13 minutes and two seconds. Um, Matt, what did you yes. think about this? I was excited to watch this just because I've seen some of Kaylee Ray. And over the past two years, she's really been making her name for herself. Uh, not only now on uh, NXT, but NXT UK as well. She was the champion there for a very, very long time. 
So you can tell that how much better she's gotten in the last five, six years, because I thought this match was just okay. Uh, you know, good, not great. Um, I did like how, again, we'll talk about EO selling. Kaylee Ray hits a huge dive onto EO, and EO sells her arm. Like, when she took the bump, like, oh, you know, my elbow hit hit the, hit the floor to the point where they have to come over and get cold spray on her. So you're thinking, it's like, oh, you know, is she really hurt? Um, EO winds up coming back. Her comeback here is just brilliant, and it gets the crowd. Her, the way she times her comeback and where she puts it in the match is just absolutely brilliant because she knows she's going to get the most out of the crowd. And her comeback, she does, you know, the springboard Josie dropkick, and then she winds up shaking off, you know, her, her arm that hurts, hits some stiff, stiff forearms. Um, Kaylee Ray winds up getting back on her. She goes for a springboard, but EO counters with a German suplex, uh, hits the straight jacket German suplex, and the moonsault. Again, two big moves right in a row, and gets a win. Uh, I gave this three and three-fourth star match, and this is a match that both of them are in, you know, NXT right now that I would like to see right now, because again, uh, like we talked about the Casey Owen match, you can see the potential. And Casey Owens at this point in you know 2016 is way better than Casey Owens. But I, if this is a match that just knowing how good Kaylee Ray is now and how great EO still is, this is a match that I would really, really like to see you know somewhere, somewhere soon uh, today. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Kaylee Ray's run in NXT UK. She's the longest reigning WWE NXT UK Women's Champion, holding the belt for 649 days. Um, I mean, something I wanted you know, to... She last, do you know she lost that belt to? She lost the belt to Mega Satomori. Yeah, how about that for a little throwback? See, there you go, man. There you go. It's all linked. Connect- it's all linked. Connecting the dots. Um, something that I thought here, it was between this and the Casey Owens match, but I noticed it here a lot more. Obviously here, I feel like EO was working a far quicker pace than she was against Casey Owens because, I don't know, maybe she trusts Kaylee Ray a little bit more. But something I wanted to ask was, there's a little bit of mis- miscommunication early on. Is that the language barrier? Have you ever had that issue? And if you have, how how do you get around that? Yeah, I mean, you you can. That That's... That probably could be it. I mean, one of the greatest things I was ever taught in wrestling is when I was in Ring of Honor, Jim Cornette would always say, don't look like a deer in headlights. The crowd doesn't know what you're doing. Even if you're calling the entire match from A to Z or you're calling the spot in the ring, the crowd doesn't know what you're supposed to do. So if you mess something up, grab a hold or hit a strike or taunt the crowd or do something. So this way the crowd forgets. They might not even know that you messed that up. So maybe that's what it was. It could have been a lang- you know, language thing, or maybe their timing was off just a little bit, uh, a little bit there. So that's basically, you know, if you're asking what I would do when a spot gets messed up, I always go back to what Jim Cornette taught me 10, well, geez, 10, 11, 12 years ago, where he said, you know, don't look like a deer in the headlights. Like you messed up. Don't let them show that you messed up the magic trick. Mm. Uh, but that's, that's obviously, I think that's what it could have been. It could have been, could have been a timing issue or could have been just something, you know, maybe that a spot got called. And, you know, maybe somebody thought they were at spot B and they're really at spot D. I mean, that, that happens time to time. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a bit slow to start, definitely. And I think that probably had a little bit to do with it. But Ray does dominate early on. The suicide dive, the rolling northern lights, suplex, and then she works EO's arm. Um, loved the way we get to the finish with Kayla Ray going for a springboard off the middle rope, but EO catches her with a German suplex. It's a spot we see quite often now. Um, I remember specifically Arisa and B Priestley for the white belt doing that exact same spot, but it never ceases to uh, to impress me, and that's the one we got here. But again, K- 
Kaylee Ray kicks out of the bridging package German suplex that pinned Casey, and she does get hit with the moonsault, which is the first time we've seen the moonsault since the uh, since the Mayu match. And uh, yeah, ultimately does get V6. It's not a bad match. I mean, I gave it three and a half. It's, it is better than the Casey Owens match. Complete agreement with you, though, Matt. Like, Kaylee Ray, it's like night and day. She's good here, and there are moments, like I said, those rolling Northern Lights suplexes, the suicide dive, big somersault sent on off the ropes. Um, her kicks look really, really good, and her offense looks crisp. Um, she goes for a swanton bomb as well, and Neo gets the knees up, which can't have been pleasant for Kaylee Ray. Um, but she is going to get considerably better, obviously, the more reps she has, which is obviously how practice works. Um, also on this show, just a little bit of uh, a little bit of trivia. On this show, there would be a debut in Oeritai uh, with Hannah Kimura debuting against the team of Mayu, Momo Watanabe, and Jungle Kiona. Um, also on this show, with this being the five-star Night 8, it was also the final of that year's five-star Grand Prix, with Yoko Bito defeating Tessa Blanchard in the five-star final. That's important because EO's next challenge would be the five-star winner, Yoko Bito. Um, and we're going to go on to that match now uh, from Stardom. Pardon me, October showdown again from Corican Hall with Io Shirai, the champion, defeating Yoko Bito in a whirlwind 19 minutes and 25 seconds. Um, so a little bit of background in 2012, Stardom original Yoko Bito retired from wrestling, citing an accumulation of neck and back injuries. At the time, she was one half of the goddess of Stardom champions and was forced to vacate them as a result of her retirement. In June of 2016, Bito returned in the ring in a losing effort against Kari Hojo. Uh, but despite this, she then took part and subsequently won, as I mentioned, the 2016 five-star Grand Prix, defeating Tessa Blanchard in the final. And then after winning the tournament, challenged EO for the red belt. Now, Matt, I know you are absolutely dying to talk about this match. But before I let you go, we had another debut on this show. Natsuka Tora debuted on this show, teaming with Arisu Nanas in a losing effort against Kaori Yoniyama and Azumi. So the current roster, all debuting here. Oh, how about that? There you go. There you go. Don't say I don't do my research, people. <laughs> I never said that. I said you do almost too much research, which I love. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I know you love this match, Matt. So uh, off you go. Yeah, I think I texted you as soon as the three count happened. I was like, I've never seen Yoko Beetle wrestle before. But I think you told me when we were going to take this journey. You said, this is, I, cause I, I think you texted when we were talking. You said, I think this is going to be one of your hidden gems because I think you know the style of wrestling that I like. And Yoko Beetle very much, I th- want to say maybe she inspired Momo Watanabe because there's a lot of little quirks, the way she throws her kicks, the way she sets up her kicks. Uh, even she does the B driver as well as Momo. So maybe that was someone that inspired uh, Momo because I see a lot of uh, Momo into, into, well, obviously I've seen more Momo matches than Yoko, but obviously Yoko came before. So uh, I think maybe that's where she got some of her, some of her stuff from, but yeah, this was, this was an absolute sleeper uh, hidden gem match for me. Uh, Before we get started, Medusa is the special guest uh, presentator of the uh, world of stardom belt. So right off the rip, you know, for someone who, you know, has been watching American wrestling for well over 35 years, you see an absolute legend, like Medusa and someone who's, I believe, 
I don't know, main event of the Tokyo Dome, but it had a big match in the Tokyo Dome with, I believe, Bull Nakano. So that's a big, that's a big get right there to have her, you know, in the ring presenting the belt. Um, Io refuses to uh, shake Yoko Beto's hand. So Yoko starts right off with some fast, stiff strikes. Um, they wind up basically anytime, you know, how the psychology of this match is really working is anytime Yoko Beto gets the advantage on Io, Io's experience cuts her off. And then four or five minutes later, it flips. Io will start getting an advantage, and then Yoko Beetle will start using her strikes to cut Io off. So I thought that was pretty cool. Like, if you're watching a game, like, you see this team that's constantly scoring, and somebody's trying to come back, they wind up cutting them off, and then the second half, it kind of flips, which kind of keeps it even. Uh, there's a sick B-driver that Yoko hits Io out on the floor for a 19 count, almost a count out. We see a lot of this, and Io's very good at teasing, almost taking a very dangerous move on the outside and almost getting counted out, and the crowd buys it. The crowd buys it. Again, Io knows where where she has to put her stuff. And the psychology of this works perfect because she gets planted with the B-driver on the outside. And then the uh, basically the big tease finish for Yoko is she hits a B-driver, two back-to-back B-drivers on Io, which the second one I thought she was going to cave her neck in. I just cringed. That was sick. Uh, you know, one, two, 2.9. Io kicks out, and then Io reverses, and she gets a final fatal flurry. She just hits these back and forth, left and right, stiff palm strikes. Then hits a big forearm. Yoko sells around. Arm captured German suplex. Moonsault for the win. This was, I, I can't wait to go back into Stardom World or the litany of Stardom DVDs. I have to watch more of Yoko Bido. Uh, I gave this four and a half stars. I absolutely love this match. This one completely caught me off guard of how much I was going to like it. It's the first time we see a more aggressive edge of EO in the way she fights Yoko. And obviously the turn and the creation of Queen's Quest is, you know, two weeks away at this point. So I don't know about you, but I thought it was very, very obvious the way that EO was ramping up the aggression in this match. Did you find that? Yeah, now that you make sense, you can kind of see where she's going to kind of go towards the hill turn. And I thought maybe part of that is because she kind of had to. You know, when you're fighting someone with all that fire, you kind of kind of have to fight back with fire. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you see it right from the jump when Io refuses to shake her hand. I mean, this is someone that just won the five-star Grand Prix. She just won this tournament to earn the title shot. It's not like, well, she won one random match or she won, like, a battle royal or something. She went through this grueling tournament to get her title shot, and the first thing Io does is when the ring is just dismisses her, just absolutely dismisses her, which basically lights a fire right into right into Yoko until, you know, she starts the stiff, uh, stiff exchange. So basically right off the right, right when the bell rings, we kind of already get the psychology, you know, and the personalities, you know, planted into the match. I mean, it, it is a fantastic match. I mean, from um, Io Shirai countering a B-driver into a code red to the work that Shirai does on Beto's leg to Beto baiting EO into coming outside the ring by taking too long to get back in. EO's like, no, she needs to get back in, goes out and Beto hits her with a B driver on the outside. Absolutely fantastic. We get brain buster, slingshot suplexes, and then we get um Beto countering out of a package bridging German suplex, but then EO counters it flawlessly into an inverted figure four leg lock. It's beautiful. And Beto is in this hold absolutely ages and Beto just won't stay down and because of that the crowd are so invested and there's a spot which I'm never going to get sick of seeing if it's timed perfectly like it was here there's a moment where Beto goes for the doll kick 
And as she does it, Shirai collapses in exhaustion. And because she collapses in exhaustion, Beto misses the kick. And it's such an underrated spot. There's a moment in um, one of the Omega and Okada matches, I think it's the time limit draw, where Okada goes for the uh, Rainmaker and Omega just falls to his knees because he's that exhausted. So Okada misses it. And it's it's such an emotional role. I love it. It's one of my favorite bits in wrestling. Um, but yeah, what a hidden gem. This is hard hitting. It's got that added extra aggression of EO, that lack of respect for Yoko Bita, whether it's because, you know, she's been gone a long time, you retired, you're weak, and then, you know, you come back and you think you can just challenge for my title. No, that's not the way it works. That was sort of the impression I got, which led to, you know, the fire lit underneath Bito in, you know, and then we get this absolutely fantastic match and then EO properly kicking off towards the end of the match and really, really going after Beto's leg. Um, Post-match, of course, um, they embrace and Beto has earned EO's respect, but those two consecutive B-drivers, like, it gone as the most ridiculous two-count. There's ve- When we are doing a retrospective on a title reign that I know lasts 14 title defenses and in match seven i'm biting on a pinfall that shows how good it is that shows how yeah. good the timing is that's how good wrestling can be when you have when you have a promotion that will let wrestlers do what they do best and that's absolutely wrestle and that's exactly what these two did here and again you talk about the the two b drivers and it's all set up from the the one outside so you hits you eats three of them <laughs> Three of them in this match that are all like, oh man! Just, but yeah, she has, yeah, she has to embrace the ugly side to uh, to get that final flurry in order to in order to get the win here. Yeah, there's there's just moments where Beto is the perfect underdog in this match, and it's it's so well done, and it's by no means the longest match, but they managed to cram so much into that 19 minutes, and that's that's another testament to both women. So yeah, four and a half stars, I think, is uh, is more than fair. Between this and the next defense, which is against Tyre Valkyrie, which we'll be talking about in a minute, there's obviously a huge shifting in the roster um, in the world of stardom. Now, tension been growing in Thunder Rock since their loss of the Goddess of Stardom Championship to Awedatai's Kyoko Kimura and Kagetsu in June, with Mayu eating the pin. Um, since then, there's been just a little subtle build of this tension between the two friends. On the 11th of November 2016, having topped their block in the Goddess of Stardom Tag League, Thunder Rock then lost the final to Kairi Hojo and Yoko Bita, with Mayu again taking the pin. That was apparently too much for Io. The tension boiled over, and Io attacked Mayu with the help of a returning Hazuki turning heel and saying that stardom had gone soft, lacking a killer instinct that she wanted to teach to the younger generation of stardom, namely Hazuki and later Momo Watanabe, who herself turned her back on Mayu Iwatani to join Io and Hazuki during the tag team main event of the show on the 20th of November. Um, even though they would effectively be Queen's Quest, the name Queen's Quest wasn't officially used until just after this Tyre Valkyrie match on the 27th. So that's all happened before this Tyre Valkyrie match. So in chronological order, this has happened. From this point on, 
EO is a heal, and obviously this plays in a little more into V9. But V8 uh, saw EO take on Tyre Valkyrie um, in the Stardom Goddesses of Stars Tour Night 2 on the 23rd of November, defeating Tyre in Fukuoka in 17 minutes and 11 seconds. The first championship defense of this reign for EO, aside from the alpha female one, to take place outside of Karakuen Hall, of those defenses that took place on Japanese soil. Um, Matt, I... Yes. I wasn't a huge fan of this match, and I text you as such during the match. What did you think? Yeah, uh, I was kind of the same again. I, you know, when I wrote everything down of the matches and whatnot, this one that jumped off the page for me because I'm a big fan of Taya Valkyrie. Obviously, I'm a ginormous fan of Io Shirai, and you have the Wonder of Stardom champion. I'm sorry, the World of Stardom champion probably the best women's wrestler on the planet and one of the top overall wrestlers on the planet. And then you have Taya Valkyrie, who I believe going in this was the triple a Reina Del Reyes champion. And she was, I know she was wrestling an impact and she was the champion there for so long off and on. So she might've been the champion or just coming off a long reign and her stuff on impact was fantastic. But this one was just, you kind of just see this like, Oh, this is, and I think I text you back. I'm like, on paper in 2016, even today, this is an absolute surefire dream match. And you can kind of tell when the match was starting, something was off, even in EO's facial expressions. And maybe because now she's going to this heel persona, but you can kind of tell she just, she was annoyed with Taya. And coming from a wrestler's perspective, maybe it was, well, I'm trying to, just, I'm trying to out this new persona and maybe it just wasn't clicking, or maybe they were calling stuff in the back and EO didn't like it, or maybe, again, and you alluded to this, maybe Ty just couldn't keep up, because it just seemed like the first half of the match, the two of them were just off. And I, by no means was it bad, but again, you look at this match on paper, and this one should have been four and a half to four and three-fourth stars match in your head. And to me, it was it was a little below four stars. Again, it wasn't bad by any means, but I just think that when you see these two on paper that this was going to be a dream match and i think it fell short and i really don't even have too much you know other than we, what we talked about uh you know in text or whatever i don't have too much on this match because it was just like ty just couldn't seem to keep up and and i love again this is no no disrespect to ty ty is phenomenal she's everything she's great in the ring but just didn't seem like she can keep up with eo and then eo towards the end of the match back end of the match had to kind of slow things down um there was some really good back and forth striking and uh Again, there wasn't just really much to the match. Um, arm captured German, and then she winds up hitting the three moonsaults for the win. Again, I had this just a shade below four stars at uh, three and three fourths. Yeah, I don't know whether, like you said, obviously both of them were attempting to wrestle as heels. Um, I mean, personal preference, I don't really like Ty Valkyrie's style. Um, admittedly, I only saw her impact stuff in her doomed NXT runners Frankie Monet, but she's just she's just never been my cup of tea as an in-ring performer. That's not to say she's bad by any stretch of the imagination, because I know she's not, and I haven't seen any of her run in AAA. So it might just be a clash of styles. I don't know. But I don't know whether it was because it almost seemed the ring was too small because she'd be running the ropes, and there was one point where she sort of got to the ropes, and how close she was to the ropes seemed to surprise her. And she sort of stopped and then then came off the ropes. But 
she was always a step behind EO. She it got better as we got through the match. Um she um Taya catches EO's crossbody into a fallaway slam. Um she's got the greatest named finisher in the road to Valhalla. That is a great finisher name. Um but I don't know. I don't know whether it was just one of those matches that didn't click or whether like I say, just a little bit of communication breakdown like we talked about in the Kaylee Kaylee Ray and Casey Owens match, but obviously Tyre misses her own moonsault and then I um EO hits the package bridging German suplex, hits three moonsaults for her own victory, but it's certainly not one that jumps off the page as one you need to go and see. I feel like this one is for completionists only, Matt. Yeah, and you know, maybe you now I'm sitting here thinking about it, maybe it was the ring was too small. And maybe that's what threw them off. Not only that, but if you look at the ring, it looks like they were like wrestling on tarp. And maybe that threw the footing off as well. I mean, and like I said, it it didn't... They got... The, the back end of this match, the last five or six minutes, is actually really, really good. But it's almost to a point where you're kind of just tuned out because it just seems like... it. Maybe they just click. And maybe it's just... Again, maybe it's just the styles clash. Again, like when you're writing down these 16 matches... You're like, oh, that's like, you know, five, you know, that's one of the ones if I can only watch five or six and that you've never seen these matches before. You figure that's a lot of people, one that would a lot of people would, would want to circle. You know, you have the champion over in Mexico and a cha- champion over here or yeah, over here, a champion in, in Japan. You figure that's when they want to see and just to, it just it just missed the mark. It just missed. Again, it wasn't a bad match, but just knowing what the two of them can do, it was just, it was kind of disappointing. Yeah, that black canvas was a real like. It was a real jarring experience after seeing the white of Stardom's ring canvas, sort of wrestling on a bin bag. Um, but I thought it was important, just the last thing I'm going to talk about on uh, in terms of this match. There was a moment, obviously, the pre-match promos, where literally the only thing that EO says is the eighth tile defense, and then walks off. So even though she might not have had the best opportunity in this match to display how heel she is trying to be. The difference in demeanor and general mannerisms is completely different to how she was before. And that obviously manifests into this next match, which comes at the end of 2016. It's stardom year-end climax, 22nd of December, against Mayu Iwatani. Um, And again... Io wins at Corican Hall in 17 minutes and 11 seconds. The exact same runtime as the tire match and the shortest of the Io and Mayu trilogy. Um, this one genuinely might be my favorite match, um, not only of the trilogy, but of the run in general, just because it is absolutely furious. I mean, in complete contrast to a promo in their previous encounter where she jumped all over the map, so of embodying that nervousness and that anxiety. Mayu said maybe six words, and there was venom behind every single word she said. And you can tell that there's growth in Iwatani before this match. She actually has some sort of a plan, a plan she did not have in that first match, Matt. Yeah, you can tell right off the, right off the get-go. Obviously... I mean, this, if this was the plan, let's turn EO heel. So this way it gives Mayu, a, you know, one of the top babyface spots and it gives her a reason to be more aggressive, you know, where you can say, and we just alluded to you know, a little bit ago, one of the reasons why EO was able to beat Mayu is because Mayu is just, she's just not aggressive enough. She's not aggressive enough. And this basically, she has to bring out the aggression in it because one, she wants to win the title. 
And two, hey, you just turned on me. You know, you just turned on me. We're part of, you know, Freedom. We're part of Thunder Rock. We were, you know, we held all the belts. And you just turned on me. So now you add that extra wrinkle in. Plus the fact that these two are absolutely fantastic in the ring. Uh, and it's very rare that you see two individuals in pro wrestling that have such great chemistry, not only as tag partners, but as opponents as well. And and these two, these two men, they have great chemistry. I mean, right off the rip, we were talking about Maya. She has to be more aggressive. She refuses to uh, shake Eo's hand, which Eo kind of does, kind of just ingest slaps her. Eo, you know, basically Eo sells her back. And Maya, right off the get, she tried to go for a German suplex. You know, right out, right off the get go. Uh, obviously, uh, Maya is very aggressive. Dragon suplexes all around. One on the floor, one on the apron. She does not want to go tease that 19 count. You know, we keep seeing Eo with this, barely getting at the 19 count because she doesn't want to give her any time to rest. Throws her in the ring, hits another dragon suplex in the ring for a near fall. She goes for the top rope reverse Rana. Uh, Eo winds up countering in it because she knows that move. She knows that's one of Mayu's bread and butter. She counters it into a German suplex for another near fall. Um, my, uh, then they wind up going back and forth. Mayu's on the aggressor on this one here. I mean, she did. She got a lot of this match. Io, not that Mayu needs any help, but Io does a does a does a great job making Mayu Itani look look like an absolute star in this match. And again, she didn't need much help, but any help that she needed, Io definitely gave it to her. So uh, she goes for the top rope dragon suplex. Io winds up countering. Uh, she lands on her feet into locomotion German suplex. Which, if that was the finish, I'm like, that's a perfect match. But <laughs> she winds up kicking out. If she winds up kicking out, uh, Io hits a dragon suplex and then a moonsault. And then Mayu Itani, who had only took one dragon, one moonsault to beat her the prior match, she gets hit with a dragon suplex and the moonsault. She kicks out, not at two, but at one. Uh, she fires up with the super kick, hits another dragon suplex, kicks out. She decides to go for the tombstone onto Io. Io reverses and hits a tombstone of herself and hits two moonsaults for the win. Uh, <laughs> I said during the Mako Satamora match, this might be the best women's match I've ever seen. Here we are, about <laughs> literally a, a year later, right? December to December. And I'm like, uh, that might have been the best women's match I've ever seen. This might be, again, it's so debatable because it's so good. This one, to me, is slightly the best match of this entire. all these matches we're going to cover. Not by much. I mean, there's so much you can throw out there. This is another easy five stars. If we're going to break the Melter scale, this is five and a half stars. This is absolutely perfect. And pro wrestling is one of the only sports that you can win by losing. By that, I mean, Mayu lost this match, but she comes out thinking, you know, I think everybody from the fans to the wrestlers, to the bookers, to the promoters, I think they were, you know, at this point, they're thinking we can put the belt on. They can do a rematch tomorrow and put the belt on her and everybody would buy it because she just looked like an absolute star. And again, a lot of that has to do with this EO just being so giving so caring, uh, giving her such a big portion of the match, just eating dragon suplex after dragon suplex. And hey, by the way, I've been beating everybody with this one moonsault. How about if you kick out and kick out at one? Like, hello, just absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal storytelling in this one. I can't say enough of good, but good. Go out of your way to see this match. If you enjoy good things in life, like clean air and good wrestling and good food, you will enjoy this match. <laughs> what a glowing indictment. Um, completely agree with you i mean i love the fact that this match only went 17 minutes because it proper gets across the brutality and the aggression and everything that both women throw at each other in this because it is a significant step up in the brutality i mean 
if I had one word, though, to describe this match, it's growth. Because Mayu's growth from match one to match two of this trilogy is phenomenal. She thinks out her offense far more. She's not overthinking it, which was she was guilty of in several occasions of that first match. She's nowhere near as frenetic. She just ups the brutality on the person. And don't forget, it's not just her tag team partner. It's not just her fellow Freedom member. It's her best friend, basically her sister, this person who looked after her when she left everything to become a wrestler. And she's turned her back on her. So that level of brutality, that venom, is more than justified. Um, Io is fantastic in the targeting of Mayu's leg once again, and it's a complete subversion to what she did in the previous match. She wraps it in a chair and drop kicks it. Um, Mayu tries to go for Io's neck to weaken it for the two-step dragon suplex. But, I mean... It's added to so much in this match by Mayu's ability to play the underdog babyface and Io's ability to play the arrogant ace figure who still has no respect. And it just means that the dynamic works to a T. Even down to Io doubling back so that she could make sure she could tread on Mayu before hitting a moonsault. She didn't just tread on her and then go. She walked past her, doubled back, and then stood on Mayu, making a conscious effort to do it. Just a small thing, but beautiful. And in the first match, Io hit a tombstone to set up for the moonsault. She tries it again, but Mayu reverses it. She's showing growth from the last match, adding to the fact that Mayu had that plan built from the previous match. Admittedly, Io reverses that and hits it, but... It's the thought that counts. Um, there's other examples, of course. Mayu blocking the suicide dive by literally just kneeling behind the apron, which I thought was quite funny. Um, hitting the Catching the tiger faint kick, etc. And again, as you mentioned, Matt, it takes two moonsaults to finish Mayu off this time. And not only did it take two moonsaults, but Mayu kicked out of the first one at one. So that growth is evident, and it's so well done in this match. They're two completely different matches. And Mayu is hot after this match, and says to Shirai that she better not lose that red belt because she is going to be the one to take it from her. And then Kari Hojo enters the ring and diffuses all tension by looking ridiculously awkward, um, which is fine, I suppose. But yeah, I, I give this five stars. It is it is a tremendous match, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I just <laughs> I keep going to it. She kicks out of the moonsault at one, she fires up and then kicks Eo right in the face. Like, hello, like, if that's not a stamp of approval, like, this is our next star. This is our future, you know, right here. I don't know what is. It's great. It is great. Um, So we move into the new year, 2017, with Io Shirai still champion on V9. She's looking for her 10th successive title defense of course her last run with the belt she had 10 title defenses which was the record at the time so she's looking to break the record or tie the record she set herself and that opponent for the stardom sixth anniversary show on the 15th of january would be none other than viper um, um and again at corican hall io shirai would defeat viper in 19 minutes and 58 seconds and again very similar to the yoko beto match matt i know you love this match so off you go this is the match i'm probably most excited to talk about i mean, it didn't get my highest rated but just because it's such a sleeper 
of a match and such a gem. Just to give you in the mindset of how I watched this match, I just got done watching the match we just talked about. So you're just like, wow, you know, I mean, they, they did everything. I mean, I heard just, you heard my glowing recommendation. So I'm like, okay, let's watch the Viper match. And I, I figured, oh, this will be good. You know, it's Io Shirai and Viper's really good. But it can't, it's going to be nowhere near as good as the, the Mayu match. And it's not, well, I don't want to say near as good, but I mean, the psychology in it is so, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Viper is working over Eo's back, and she's working over Eo's back. And anytime Eo gets any advantage, she just goes right after the back. She hits a splash onto the apron. She's doing the Argentina backbreaker. She's just working over Eo's back, and Eo's selling is spot on. You can tell when selling is working when you have the crowd that invested. And the crowd here is, is so invested in Eo making her comeback. And anytime Eo would hit a strike or get behind Viper, she's going for the German suplex. She's trying to get this German suplex, and she can't get it. She just can't. She goes for it three or four times. She just can't get it because, one, Viper is obviously bigger than her, and, two, she's just getting her back worked over. The psychology is so simple, but it makes so much sense, and the crowd is so invested. So Viper get, winds up hitting several near falls, including uh, she's a Mijinoku driver, which I believe is uh, one of her finishers. She gets a two-count on it. The crowd, a lot of the crowd bought it. That a lot of the crowd, the crowd thought that might have been the finish, that they were going to see a title change here. So Viper decides, what else can I do? Let me take this B and Eo Shirai. She's thrown everything at me, and I throw everything off her. And let me take her to the top rope. And she puts her up on her shoulders like she's going to give her a top rope DVD. And Eo fights out of it and hits an absolute perfect top rope her Karana. She follows that up with an absolute perfect moonsault. Two thoughts crossed my head as soon as she hit that moonsault. One... Wow, that's a great finish. Oh, what a great finish. This is four and a quarter stars easy. Thought number two, Rob, that came through my head was, man, that's a great finish. But how awesome would it be if Eo just hit that German suplex that not only I wanted to see, but that Eo wanted and that this packed crowd wanted to see. Well, she picks her up. And not only does she give her a German suplex, she holds on. She fights through the pain. The psychology of building up this one move. This one move. She fights through it. And she hits her with one German suplex. Holds on into the arm-captured German suplex for the one, two, three. Now, we talked about how the moonsault is Eo's best move. And she should use, nine times out of ten, she should use that to win matches. But for this is the one time out of ten that the psychology not only makes sense, but it's better. She did hit the moonsault. But she was, they built up the German suplex and Eo's beat up back. And the fact that she can't hit the German suplex, that she hits the beautiful, beautiful moonsault. And you have the crowd at an all-time high. And the only time you can get them higher is when you go back to that psychology. And you hit not one, but two perfect suplexes. This was great. This was four and three-fourths star for me. This is one of the ultimate hidden gems, not only in stardom, but of all pro wrestling. This was a match people, anybody at studying professional wrestling that wants to learn the little ins and outs of selling and how to build stuff up, you need to go out of your way to see this match. This was fantastic. Honestly, these two have tremendous chemistry together. And as much as we talked about Viper's first challenge, she might be the perfect big person for EO to fight. Because honestly... 
everything you said was right. I was so invested in this match. And Io did such a fantastic job of selling that back injury and the work that Viper relentlessly did. Everything was going back to the back, whether it was the rack attack, whether it was the suplex, whether it was hitting her back with the cannonball. It was all like the cannonball to the back when Eos missed those double knees. Horrendous. I mean, there was, there was, it might be the greatest sell I've ever seen where the two are exchanging forearms and Viper Deke appetates Eo with a clothesline and she does a full 360 and lands. And I'm like, well, that's it. Eo's dead. That's it now, isn't it? It's done. Maybe she doesn't get to V14. And just everything that they did together was perfect. Everything they did together worked really, really well. Eo does need to stop springboarding because apparently it is part of every match that she must get caught springboarding with some sort of forearm. So maybe Eo needs to go back and watch her own tapes, but there we are. Um, the it's, fa- in her con- it's in her contract, I think, Rob. Ah, uh, okay, well, there you go then. There you go. <laughs> She's contracted to hit at least one springboard per match. <laughs> um, they did the quintessential Ric Flair spot, which made me laugh. I was like, oh, they did the duck clothesline on the apron. Loved it, loved it. Um, but genuinely, all jokes aside, this this match is exactly like Matt said, a real hidden gem in this run, and Viper does a fantastic job. And it's no wonder, really, that EO tries to recruit her and successfully recruits her eventually for Queen's Quest. But before we get to there... Um, Shirai's call for her 11th opponent after she's put over Viper's strength. Uh, former UFC fighter Shayna Baszler comes out and chokes Io out, leaving a playing card on her because she's the queen of spades. Uh, Viper then comes to Io's rescue but gives a non-committal answer to Io's invitation to join Queen's Quest. Uh, July 30th, Viper will join Queen's Quest at a second invitation, but... Just before we get there, Eo then asks who Shayna thinks she is. Some sort of magician. Uh, that might be the greatest put-down of a challenge ever, which I thought was extremely funny. But yes, I agree with you. I give it four and a half. I thought everything they could have done, they did really, really well. Um, we move on to V11. Successive challenge number 11, which is Io Shirai's chance to break her own record. And it came in Stardom of Champions 2017, again at Corican Hall on the 23rd of February. And she defeated Shayna Baszler to retain her championship in 16 minutes and 45 seconds. Now, I mentioned at the start of the podcast and when we were off air, Matt, about how much I was like, oh, this this could go one of two ways simply because of Shayna's hilariously inconsistent booking in the WWE. But I thought this was really, really good and might, for me, be the hidden gem of this run. Yeah, you're not too far off. I'm a huge Shayna Baszler fan. Obviously, she has the uh, shoot experience, the UFC experience, uh, trained by Josh Barnett with uh, with a lot of sprinklings of uh, the greatest catch uh, teacher of all time, Billy Robinson. So, actually, you know when you when you little little side note here, when you watch Shayna Baszler when she does her entrance before when she puts her one foot on the step and she does like the cross and she points at the sky, that's her uh, talking to Billy Robinson. So, uh, oh, there you go. Just a little. Yeah, there you go. Uh, this, yeah, this was just another uh, a great match. Um, yeah, Shayna's, you know, her current, her current booking, it is what it is. Her run in NXT was phenomenal. 
I mean, she had a huge feud with with uh, Kari saying Kari Hojo. So you know, obviously, this uh, her stuff goes way back here. But yeah, this was they started out fast with uh, strikes, really good submission exchanges. Eventually, Shayna Baszler, obviously, because that's her bread and butter, she winds up catching EO. She gets she gets the advantage. Uh, she has EO in a second rope. She's basically standing, sitting on the top rope, and she has EO in a chokehold. Obviously, is illegal, so she has to break it at four. And at that point, EO knows that if she's going to win this match, she's going to have to kind of almost play Shayna's games a little. She's going to have to get a little bit a uh, little bit aggressive. So you see EO coming back with a whole bunch of kicks, palm strikes, forearms. The two of them are going back and forth. EO, uh, Shayna's working on EO's arm, which leads to the psychology of uh, EO hits a beautiful German suplex. And not only does Shayna kick out, but she winds up locking in the double wrist lock, which plays into a little bit later on towards the match. EO winds up hitting the moonsault, but can't take the pin because when she landed, she landed on that arm that Shayna was working on. So eventually she gets the cover. It's a sloppy cover. It's after time as it laps. So Shayna winds up, uh, winds up kicking out. Uh, eventually they go back and forth again. Uh, EO winds up hitting the tombstone. Again, I love these. Love it when she's hitting two big moves in a row. She winds up firing up. Uh, shaking off the pain from the arm, crowds well invested. It's the tombstone moonsault combination for the win. I had this at four and a quarter star, and yeah, this is just an absolute another hidden gem uh, in this run. It goes some way to show just how far Baszler pushed Io. That Io had no intention of, you know, with all the pageantry of trying to stand on her opponent and then hitting the moonsault. She scarpers to the top rope and hits that final moonsault because she knows she cannot afford to give any leeway to Baszler at all. And this match itself is so different to anything else in this run in the way that Baszler is slow and meticulous in her destruction of Io's arm. It's one of the best sort of single limb focuses of this entire run. Like Baszler, to start off with, is so imperious in the way she takes apart. And Io tries to play Shayna's game. You know, she lets her get into submissions and then tries to transition them into roll-ups so that she can get out of them. But eventually, the work that Baszler's doing is just slowly but surely sort of breaking her down. And we're used to... Um, Shayna Baszler doing these fantastic submissions and take and locking people in these horribly brutal submissions at times, but some of the suplexes she hits in this, that gut-wrench suplex off the top rope, and then she maintains control and hits another, just fantastic. And then EO has got this entire storyline of trying to hit Baszler's back to try and weaken her, so obviously she hits that second gut-wrench suplex, can't do the cover because of all the work that EO has done on it. Genuinely, a really, really good match. And I'd go as far as to say one of Shayna's best. Um, the only thing that was a little bit annoying for me was Shayna's constant arguing with the ref. I mean, I could have done without that. We could have found a different way to distract Baszler, you know, Maybe her overconfidence leading to a mistake or something like that. But even so, um, Baszler transitioning an armbar into a Texas Cloverleaf was also a real highlight for me. Genuinely one of my favorite matches of this run. V11 for Io Shirai. Four and a quarter from me as well. Um, Io then calls out for her next challenge. Gets inundated with challenges because Kagetsu, Kari Hojo and Tony Storm 
all come out. Um, EO is shattered, so gets a chair and makes them all plead their cases for the belt, which seems extremely condescending, but works as she's being heel, I suppose. Um, Kyrie says she defended the white belt successfully against Chelsea Green. Um and said that they should have a double title match. Um, Tony says that she built, she beat EO for the the SWA belt, which she did back in 2016, which is a valid claim. Kagetsu gets an enormous reception, considering she's the new leader of Oedetai, um, but she says she's never faced EO before in a one-on-one setting, and that a match versus Kagetsu is more interesting than versus Kyrie or Tony. Even though... Io agrees. She tells Kagetsu to bow down to the Queen. Gets really over the top, sort of Charlotte Flair levels of condescension. Kagetsu pretends to, and then beats Io up. And that's how we get to our next match. And that next match is against the aforementioned Kagetsu. Um, stardom champions around the world in Nagoya from Nagoya International Conference Hall event. Hall from the 5th of March 2017 with Io Shirai defeating Kagetsu in 13 minutes and 28 seconds. Now, I don't think I'm at a line here, Matt. I might be, but I don't think I am. Um, A, I wasn't a huge fan of this match. You hear Io Shirai, you hear Kagetsu, you automatically assume, like you were talking about earlier with Taya Valkyrie, you assume that this match is going to be an absolute barn burner. And for me... It, it wasn't really. And I don't know if that's something to do with how this match wasn't the main event of the show. Um, the Goddesses of Stardom Championship match uh, with the champions, um, sorry, with the team of Hiroya Matsumoto and Jungle Kiona defeating the champions of Kari Hojo and Yoko Bito being placed above it. Um, probably because it was Jungle Kiona's uh, hometown and it was the catharsis of her winning a first title win in the company. I don't know if that's why they didn't go all out in this match or... Honestly, I don't know. It just it didn't quite click for me. I see your point, and maybe that's what it was. Maybe they said, well, you know, hold back just maybe a little bit, uh, just, you know, to leave them something for the main event so they get the, the huge pop there. But to me, it just seemed like maybe Kigetsu just at this point just really wasn't ready for that top spot. Like, let's let her, let's give her a little bit. So this way it puts a little bit of stock into it, and then we'll kind of start stop. But EO, to me, in this job, and this, excuse me, in this match, does a really good job making Kagetsu look really good. She takes a lot of big bumps. Uh, she's taking bumps on the floor. She's taking, you know, big bumps in the ring. She winds up taking uh, the, the the Death Valley Driver bomb onto, uh, I believe, like the suitcase, like the Oedo tie. I think it's like standard for every match. Um, <laughs> she takes a lot of big bumps here. But yeah, it just seemed like maybe we got five or six more minutes and it was the main event. And they could have maybe strung it out a little bit longer. I didn't think it was a bad match at all. I rated it four stars. I thought it was really good. It just seemed like it was kind of start, stop, start, stop. And then once with like maybe the last like two and a half minutes, then they really, uh, really got going here because it just like seemed, seemed like Io was fighting from behind just from all the, uh, all the stuff from Moita time. It seemed like she was on, constantly on the cell, which is fine. Again, I, it was to get maybe to get so over. You can say, hey, you know, I took the champ to the limit uh, in this match. But Io, the way she built, like my favorite part in the match is the way she builds her comeback. Like mm-hmm. she has to have some sort of, like really tight comeback because like anytime she's trying to build any momentum, she's constantly being cut off by dastardly tacks. So the way like she builds her comeback is like she just throws these and you see this as it as you're watching this rain build, these uppercut palm strikes that look like they're just gonna take your head off. Um and it, you know, I think it's just genius where again, where she puts it, how she puts it, how she times it, how she sells it in her face, 
Um, the apron, uh, this one's doing a German suplex on the apron, which I thought was nice. Throws her back into the ring, and then she gets the uh, arm capture German, which I thought was going to be the was going to be the finish, just by the way it was built. Akikatsu winds up kicking out. Eventually, EO gets the uh, tombstone moonsault combination for the win. Yeah, I see your point. You know, you figured this would have been more along the lines of a four and a half stars. Again, for me, this was a solid four stars, and I think the main thing to take from it was just EO did a lot uh, in this. She was a lot on the defensive to make it get to look good. And again, maybe she just she wasn't just there just yet they weren't sure if they were ready to kind of go all in on Kigetsu just yet i mean i do see your point and i liked how initially Kigetsu's basically trying to get wind yeah what trying to get in ahead um and there's, there's one point where Kigetsu's in the corner and uh Io tries to use the ropes to get elevation for the knees in the corner but way overshoots it and ends up headbutting the top of the ring post, which um, looked incredibly painful, but she does it again correctly and will play it off as Kagetsu getting in her head. I think the thing that bothered me in this is Kagetsu assaults Io's back, like works it and works it and works it. And Io, who we've complimented throughout this entire run for the way she sells and makes her opponent look fantastic, no sells all that damage completely and does the handspring drop kick and it's it took me out of the match it does the kip up as well which yes i understand that it's for the crowd and you know it's to pump the crowd up ready for that comeback but when you've got kagetsu having done all this work on the back to then have it and literally it was the next move it sort of distracted me from everything else that happened which is a shame because there were there were good parts of this i mean like you mentioned, um, Kagetsu hitting the Abisu drop onto the suitcase, then hitting a second one, but Io kicks out. Um, you've got um, Kagetsu literally deadlifting a comatose Io into a vertical suplex, which is hella impressive. But that moment, the work with the back, and I know it's a really small moment, and I should just get the hell over it. But no, no, you're you're now that I'm thinking about it, Alex, you're exactly right. But go ahead, Rob, finish. No, you're you're exactly right. It, it it did really take me out of the match because I am a selling nerd. If you're gonna work if you're gonna work a limb, make it feel like part of the finish. I feel like if you've done all that work, which is why I'm such a switchblade Jay White fan, because he works a limb and then will target that for the finish. Whereas here, it was back work that was then ignored. There was then a little bit more back work, but by then nobody cared because they were ah, Eo's in completely imperious mood today, therefore it's not going to matter, which took away from the overall match, which is a shame because I mean I gave it three and three quarters. It was a it was a good match, but for me a little disappointing. Yeah, I can see you're talking about the selling on the back, and then Eo, you know, Eo, she does the. the- the handstand and everything. It's just like, well, if you did all that work, your back shouldn't be. It'd be one thing, like what we talked about in the Viper match, if it's literally the final thing, like if you do something to build up to it. But like the fact that they just happened, like you did all this back work and then right after that, that EO kind of just almost like no-sells it. Yeah, I can kind of take the crowd out of it. But if you kind of, not no-sell, but like, okay, you know, towards the end of the match, it's like, all right, let me just grit down. Let me just, you know, bite down on my lip and let me, you know, pick Kagetsu up, my back is killing me, but let me hit this German suplex or this moonsault, or say she hits the two, well, the finish with the tombstone moonsault, but say she hits the tombstone and she's crawling to the top rope and you, they, they, you know, you see her firing up and she's got to block out that pain just for a few more seconds, just to get the moonsault in, it would have meant that much more, it would have had that much more bigger pop. So yeah, I totally, 
totally see what you're getting at here. And that's probably what took the crowd out of the match. And yeah, now that you're talking about it, you know, seems like it took you out a little bit out of the match as well. Definitely. And again, I'm a huge Kigetsu fan. I miss Kigetsu in today's stardom, like pretty much every stardom fan. And of course, I'm a huge EO fan. So I wanted this match to be fantastic. And there were moments, as I've mentioned before, but just that moment, just a little bit more build up, a little bit more build up, a little bit more adrenaline being built up so that you can argue, do you know what? She did the kip up, but it's because of the adrenaline that she's got because she's now on top. But instead, it just seemed to be... It was too jarring for me, basically. Yeah, kind of, yeah, kind of like how we just said a few minutes ago in the Viper match. You know, she hits that moonsault. Now she's got adrenaline going, and then she gets the two Germans back-to-back, and it just completely explodes the place. And yeah, I think that if they kind of just uh, took that no-selling spot and put it towards the end um, and arranged a few more things, they would have got more out of the match. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I agree with you. So we move on from Kagetsu, and now Io is working her way through the other two challengers who challenged her in um, Corrigan Hall. The first of which is a rematch against Kairi Hojo, which was at Stardom the Highest 2017. Once again at Corrigan Hall on the 20th of March 2017, with Io defeating Kairi in 22 minutes and 38 seconds um this is the last installment of what is one of stardom's most well-known rivalries Kyrie had previously defeated eo on night four of the 2016 five-star grand prix which would prove costly as shirai then finished second in the block behind tessa blanchard by one solitary point at this point Kyrie held the white belt going into this match having dethroned santana garrett in may of 2016 but this match despite what Kyrie had actually asked for was only solely for Io's red belt um after this match Kyrie would then drop the white belt to Mayu Iwatani at Stardom Gold May 2017 um a single day short of a year-long reign and then she'd go on to leave the company on June 4th and have a frustratingly inconsistent time in WWE um to differentiate this from the last Kairi Hojo match back on the fifth anniversary show, there's there's no frenetic start like in their previous encounter. Instead, it's it's cagey, as though Kairi knows that if she goes gung-ho into this match, she's going to lose. That, that shows when she loses the initial test of strength, and she loses it, obviously, smacks the mat and runs at Io, only to be outmaneuvered. Again, this leads to an almost panicked desperation in Kyrie that lasts for the remainder of the match. She has to win this. And you can see that in everything she does in this match, Matt. Yeah, you can tell, you know, she's kind of taking her time, but eventually, you know, I don't like to swear, but eventually shit breaks down and it gets a little crazy. They start pitching each other into chairs. Uh, EO hits a, an insane elbow on from the outside, or excuse me, from the inside outside, almost like a dive to EO and pretty much the entire stardom roster, which is a really cool visual. Uh, eventually, EO you know, gets back on top of Kari. They wind up fighting in the crowd, and then EO does her patented moonsault off the, uh, the, the uh, I guess, the entranceway there. That just, just absolutely blows my mind. I mean, she's, I mean, I know there's a lot of people there to catch her, but I mean, we've seen, we've seen a couple people do these crazy dives off. I mean, one slip, one wrong way. If you don't, if you overshoot, you're going to wind up in the 10th row. If you undershoot, you're going to wind up in the concession stands, rolling down the <laughs> rolling down the entranceway there. I mean, yeah, this is a completely different match because they wind up getting crazy aggressive with all their crazy stuff. 
that they wind up doing. And it kind of makes sense, you know, at this point, Eos, she's supposed to be a heel, but they just, it's just, how do you boo her? You know, how do you just boo her for just how good she is in the ring? Um, once again, you know, they, Kari winds up, once they, once they get back into the, uh, back into the action in the actual ring where you can win the match, Kyrie eventually gets the advantage. Uh, insane elbow, EO kicks out of here again, which is, uh, you know, it just seems like EO won't give Kyrie the, uh, she won't give her the satisfaction. You know, she beat her with it once before. And then, you know, when, uh, when the belt was vacated, vacated, uh, she kicked out of it in the previous match. She kicks out of here again. Kyrie winds up kicking out of a, a huge German suplex and the, uh, and then she winds up getting hit with the moon salt, excuse me, the tombstone and the moon salt for the win. I think this was this was their best match in my opinion, and this one was just a shade below five stars. They gave this one four and three fourths. Again, this was absolutely incredible, it, uh, incredible, completely different match from what they had before, just because the, the dynamic was different, and you could just see how desperate Kyrie was to try to wrestle that belt off uh, off Eo, and just how even more desperate Eo was to not only retain the belt but to get another win over her her former stablemate and her rival. That's the thing you. That desperation permeates everything Kyrie does for the remainder of the match, and it's helped so much by Io being an arrogant dickhead in the opening exchanges. I mean, she she's laughing at Kyrie's attempt to get out of a figure four leg lock. She she gets hit, Io. This is with a load of kabashi like chops in the corner, and as Kyrie winds up for this big one, Io nonchalantly walks out of the corner to avoid it. There's no panic. There's no... It's a completely nonchalant. And you can see it winding Kyrie up. And that sort of arrogant heel intent that she's got, despite the fact that the crowd are not playing along at all because they want EO to win. <laughs> um, you know, Kyrie's got a load of support as well to the point where EO actually mentions it in a post-match. But subtle things like that, helped to build the desperation in Kyrie and helped you invest in Kyrie Hojo. I mean, some of the stuff that she was hitting was absolutely brutal. We need to talk about Io's tombstone and how on earth Kyrie is able to walk after that because Jesus Christ, Kyrie was low when she hit that. Like, she took all of that on the crown of her head. And Jesus, that poor woman. Um, but... I could literally list this match strike for strike because I loved it that much. I mean, I gave it four and three quarters. I was I was toying between giving this five and not giving it five. It was one of those, uh, do I? I personally prefer this to their fifth anniversary match. It's shorter. It's more frenetic. There's that desperate storyline of Kairi Hojo that sort of permeates the entire thing, especially when once you know, and it was heavily rumoured that Kairi Hojo was leaving for NXT at this time. So, you know, bordering on that maniacal side of Kyrie that, you know, she locks in this uh, Boston Crab, bending Io through the ropes on the apron. And it's such an aggressive side that was so... We haven't seen in Kyrie. And it goes... Well, if you remember, if, yeah, not to cut you off, but, but to play off that, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Kyrie beat Io a few years back with the insane elbow in that Boston Crab and she wind up getting Io to submit? Yeah. So maybe that's like something that's like I have I'm having trouble beating her and I've used something similar to this. Let me kind of use it in the ropes. You know, it's kind of a, again, it's the complete storyline. Let's 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 bring it back to that. I use this once to beat her. Let me see if I can do it again. But like with a little bit more of a twist on it. 
But on top of that, we talked about the inconsistent selling in the Kagetsu match. That's completely remedied here. I mean, Kairi works so hard on Io's back that Io hits this missile drop kick and then attempts to hit this German suplex, but has to collapse because her back gives out. That's all it took. I mean, I'm never not going to pop for um, Io hitting that double underhook face buster, sitting out. Kyrie landing on her feet and hitting the sliding D. I'm, I'm never not going to pop for that. I know they did it in the last yeah, match, but it was great. It it just works. Um, these two have, like I say, tremendous chemistry. I think the more I talk about it, the more I realise that I do prefer this match to their fifth anniversary show and the shorter runtime, like I said. It does play into that frenetic, passionate sort of desperation that Kyrie has. And I thought that was a great storyline going through and set it apart from the anniversary match. Um, so they cut, obviously, to the post-match. Um, Io has now got, uh, successfully defended about 13 times. Kyrie Neo sort of agreed to take it to the next level if they face each other again, but not until after Io was first bigged up and then mocked Kyrie for being three steps behind her, which is odd. Um, Tony Storm then enters the ring to be the new challenger, which brings Mayu out, who claims that she's lost the last two Cinderella tournament matches because she's that hyped up on energy that she forgot she'd actually won them um, and promises to win again to go for the winner of the match between Tony and Io. Um, then Jungle appears and shouts without any elaboration whatsoever, just yells. And then Konami challenges Kairi for the white belt. It's utter carnage, the closing to this segment, Matt. Yeah, hey, at least it sets stuff up. I mean, you, you have to, you know, you, if you're attending the show and then someone asks you the next day, hey, how was, you know, how was the show? Like, well, you know, this, 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 and this. But then it ended, you know, obviously with this fantastic banger, instant classic of a main event. And then it's just like, sometimes you're just like, okay, I got that, but what's next? Well, this is what's next. They already told us what's next. So, yeah, you're kind of a little clustered, but at least you kind of know where they're going on the on the next round. Yeah, absolutely. And where we're going is EO's final successful defense um, going against Tony Storm, going to a time limit draw, a 30 minute time limit draw at Stardom Gold May 2017 at Corrigan Hall on the 14th of May. So after picking up a relatively rare clean pinfall victory over EO to become the second SWA undisputed World Women's Championship, uh, champion, sorry, back at Stardom X Stardom from Osaka in July of 2016. Um, Tony then went on to win the 2017 Cinderella tournament with her eye on EO's red belt as her prize. Now, interestingly enough, in the initial tournament for the SWA belt, EO was the first champion, having beaten Tony Storm in the tournament final. Um, after this match, in their three single matches on Japanese soil, two had gone to the time limit and Tony won the other. That's a remarkable stat when you think about it, that Io could not beat Tony on Japanese soil and goes some way to showing how much Stardom valued her as a gaijin. Um, yep, she lost in the tournament final, but that was technically an affiliation with Rev, Rev Pro and was also in Spain, so we'll ignore that match. Um, 
just the last bit of uh, news coming off of this Stardom Gold May show. It also saw the last big match for Kyrie Hojo before she left for WWE in June. Uh, she would lose the white belt to Mayu Iwatani in the semi-main event, which ultimately impacts the match we'll talk about after this one. So, Matt, they filled 30 minutes, Tony and Io. Do you think they did a good job? They did very well, but just kind of just hit the rewind button real quick. It just seems like Tony has EO's number. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the final of the second ever May Young Classic was Tony Storm pinning EO Shirai. So it just seems like everywhere she kind of just has her number. So that's a kind of little 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 interesting fact that I kind of just picked up with, with, with your research and my research. But you can tell. You can tell that... Um, this match was going to go along just by the way they were pacing everything mm-hmm. in the beginning. Very, very, very slow pace. Uh, not boring. Again, just a very slow pace where they're going to kind of look like they were trying to just eat up some time until they can kind of fill up their spots. I thought this was uh, a very good match. Excellent match. I mean, how Tony Storm and Io Shirai, I don't know if there's any way that they can have a bad match. But you can kind of see the cracks in Io Shirai in this match. And what I mean by that is uh, her neck. Her neck injury, which obviously you know plays up into the uh, the match we'll talk about next uh, against Mayu, but uh, Tony Storm has this phenomenal snap pile driver. Holy jeez, I mean, it's just so flawless. But she's working on Io's neck, and she's working on Io's neck, and she hits the snap pile driver, and it gets to a point where if you're watching this match and you don't know the finish, that you think the ref's going to stop this because you think Io is legit hurt. Like Tony's going after, her and she's like, no, 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 you need to back off, you need to back off, you need to back off. You need to back off. And you, and there's almost this hush that falls apart the crowd because they think they they think that Eo's legit hurt and Eo's selling is just so spot on here. Uh, after that, she winds up getting real aggressive, uh, which one you know just shows one how she wants how bad she wants the belt, and two from a kayfabe standpoint, uh, okay, obviously Eo isn't as hurt as we thought she would be because or else why would the ref uh, let the match keep going back and forth? Um, Eo winds up getting towards the end. She has she again she. Bites down, she fights through the pain through her neck. Uh, she hits their big final fury, and she just can't because of her neck. She just can't get the you know clean advantage. Uh, Io winds up going for the moonsault, but she winds up taking so much time climbing to the top rope that eventually uh, Tony winds up getting her feet up. Tony hits the top rope leg drop for two. Tony winds up locking in a reverse clover relief, and the time limit expires to a time limit draw. Again, I thought this match was really good. They did a really good job playing up. Tony Storm's aggressive side and just how, you know, in this 14th match of this title reign, just how Ido, how beat up EO is, but she still doesn't want to give up the belt. Uh, so really good, simple story, tell, storytelling here. I gave this four and a quarter star. I give it the same four and a quarter stars. Now, there's two things that I wanted to sort of talk about. Um, there was a little bit of dead air in this match for me that definitely wasn't there in the Kyrie or Michael match, which are the longer matches. So I think Kyrie's went 30 seconds under the time limit and they went full on at each other for 29 minutes. And obviously Tony and EO didn't, but obviously you talked about in our very first episode together. You went for a, you went to a time limit draw uh, and Devin, I know this, come on, come on. Uh, no, I can't remember. <laughs> but how difficult Mo- is it? Mo- more, De- Devin Moore. Devin Moore. I knew it was Devin Moore. I don't know why I doubted myself. Anyway, <laughs> how difficult is it to plan out a match of this length that you know is going to a draw? 
you can't. I mean, it all depends. Everybody's different. Everybody's different. But from if you know you're going to have that much time and it's going to go to a draw, you really can't plan out everything. You can again. My match with him, it was like you know I talked about it. You know, in our first episode, he came up to me and said, "I know what you do. You know what I do. You want to call it out there? No problem. After that's what you want to do. You're more comfortable with. No problem. So this way, I mean, and and what that gives you is like you can kind of breathe a little because you don't have to remember." one spot, two spots, five spots, 10 spots, every spot from A to Z, you can kind of go out there and kind of work on your character work and kind of, if you want to change things up, it's really not that hard because you don't have really much to change up, you know, depending on what the crowd's buying or what they're not, you know, if they're into this arm submission, you know, let me work it a little. Okay. Let me come back to it. So I match this length. It seems like, especially these two, by the way, this match was, they probably only had a couple things maybe called back. Obviously, they had to talk about EO's hurt neck because that was obviously a spot that they used with the ref and maybe a spot that they used to maybe eat up some time as well and to get the crowd really invested. Is EO really hurt here? And then it seems like they maybe just put a couple other spots together and then just the finish. You know, EO hitting the feet, uh, eating Tony's feet on the moonsault, EO hitting the top rope leg drop, which I believe she used to beat EO to win the SWA title. Uh, which is kind of a nice callback if my research there is right. Uh, EO winds up kicking out. Tony locks in the reverse clover leaf, and then time expires. I just want to go back to that neck injury. Apparently, the ne- the uh, the pile driver did legitimately injure uh, EO's neck, and after she lost the belt to Mayu in the next match, she had to take a month off to rehab it. So, um, though, oh, wow, though I'm though I'm sure it wasn't as you know as bad as was made out in some of the selling, which was fantastic, by the way. Um, yeah, apparently legitimately injured her because her head wasn't tucked properly. Um, so not not only did she end up finishing this match where the very next move was a neck breaker from Tony Storm, she then went on to face Mayu, which basically the entire match was spent with Io on her neck. So um, yeah, it wasn't a pleasant two matches to be Io Shirai, I am sure. but. Yeah, um, I thought this match was great. There was a little bit of dead air, like I say, um, but otherwise a really good match. Sidewalk slam on the wooden floor. There was a great hip attack with Io sat up in the chair. All the work on the neck. Um, I thought these two had good chemistry. Like you said, it was a good sort of through line that basically Tony is sort of Io's Achilles heel. Io can't quite get the victory and then that submission that Tony wraps EO up in before the time limit expires. That looked brutal. It looked incredible and EO sold it like death. Absolutely phenomenal. Um I'm with you one hundred percent. Four and a quarter stars. Post match, Mayu comes to the ring. EO is broken at this point, is just lying on the ground, completely broken. Mayu says, hey look, I won the white belt we should have a fight is basically the extent of her promo. Um, she hangs the belt on top of EO's trophy. Um, EO agrees eventually. And Mayu walks off for getting a Y belt because it's Mayu Iwatani. Um, and that's how we're set up for the end of this reign. Uh, Stardom Galaxy Stars 2017, 21st of June from Corican Hall once again, with Mayu defeating Io Shirai in 27 minutes and 52 seconds. The third longest match of Io's run. The longest match in the Mayu versus Io Shirai trilogy. Matt, we're at the end of the road. What did you think of this match? 
You can this one, this match might be the greatest women's match I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> this is, I mean, you talk about what's the again. It, it all depends on what you like. I mean, there's literally, like I said, this. Is, if I if I had a list of the top three greatest women's matches of all time, it's it's Mako and then the second and third Mayo match, and I don't know which one. You know, different days you get different answers, but this was great. The psychology, of this was very very easy, and that's what Io does very well. And Mayu as well. It's like they keep it, they keep the psychology simple. They just built upon it. Obviously, Io has the hurt neck, so Mayu's game plan is number one on the offensive. I gotta go after that neck. Nobody else can beat her. Nobody's been beating her, but it's a little crack. Let me keep going after that neck. And Mayu's offense, you know, obviously she does the moonsault, but she throws a lot of strikes, targets the neck, and the uh, the suplexes, especially the two-stage dragon suplex, targets the neck. So that's her game plan, you can see. That's her game plan, is to target the neck. Also, the game plan, as you see as this match as unfolds, is to, at all costs, avoid the moonsault. Every time I'm in the ring with Io, I wind up getting beat by the moonsault. So that's the psychology set for, um, you can tell, um, as the match, uh, progresses, they wind up going to the outside again, huge brawl in the crowd. It just seems like anytime one of these big matches, somebody has to dive off the, off the entrance way there, but this time it's Mayu. She, uh, she does the dive onto EO and the entire stardom roster. Um, they wind up going back and forth again, a lot of great network here, um, there's actually a point here where they wind up exchanging suplexes and they all, they get one counts. They're hitting these big suplexes and they're kicking out at one, which when, when the story is right, which obviously is in, in here, I pop, I pop huge for it. <laughs> I pop huge, I pop huge for it. Cause it make it makes sense. Uh, EO, she winds up, she, she decides that, Hey, let's, I got to change it up a little bit. So she targets Mayu's back. Uh, she winds up hitting an insane elbow drop and then into the Texas Cloverleaf again, Kind of like the combination that Kari beat Io with a few years back. Um, Io winds up hitting a perfect uh, dragon suplex into the moonsault. Uh, only gets a two. Mayu winds up countering with the tombstone and locomotion dragon suplexes, which I knew the result of this match, but I thought that was the finish. Io winds up kicking out. Last thing she has, Mayu fires up. They have the crowd at a pitch-perfect place to finish the match. Two-stage dragon suplex for the win. And the end of one of the greatest title reigns in the history of pro wrestling. Again, five stars. How could if you can't if you give it anything less? I I, I just feel bad for you. This was five stars. <laughs> just the emotion of Mayu winning the match, and just the emotion of just this brilliant, brilliant, damn near picture perfect title reign coming to an end. I mean, you look at this with. Kyrie now gone from the company, and Mayu having beat her on her way out for the Y belt. This became an even more important match for Iwatani. If she wins, then not only does she beat her friend and mentor for the first time in singles action, gaining closure after Rio's turn, but she'd also become the first ever person to hold the red and white belt simultaneously. A symbolic representation of how much she has grown and passed Io on her way to being the person to lead stardom into a new era. It, effectively, what this match was, was the unofficial match to crown the new ace of stardom. And it felt like a real changing of the guard. I mean, there's moments where it's Mayu doing the big move. So, for example, you talked about um, the big move off the concourse entrance, which, you know, it was Eo's thing. It's It's been Eo's thing for the entirety of this run. And Mayu's the one doing it now. 
And there's moments that harken back to those first two matches, that Texas Cloverleaf, where in the first match, Maya was scrabbling for the ropes, you know, panicking, no idea what to do. Yet in this match, she's calm, she's collected, she's thinking rationally, and it again shows that growth, that sense of a plan. Um, she guesses that EO is going to go target her knee more, which EO does. So Maya relies on hitting suplexes instead, targeting the neck, instead of fighting out of a tight spot frenetically, which she was guilty of doing in the first match. She uses things like arm drags and things to create space to recover. And overall, it's just, it's a real sense of completion. It's the longest match of the trilogy, like I mentioned, which shows how far Mayu has come and how far she's pushing Io now from that first match onwards. And the longer the match goes, the more we see the desperation of Io. Desperation we haven't really seen before. We started to see it in the Tony match, but we see it even more here, and we see it more obviously here. She doesn't stand on Mayu before hitting the Moonsault. Now, if you remember in the second match, she doubles back to make sure she stands on Mayu, yet here, she doesn't. She runs to the top rope, knowing she doesn't have the time to be arrogant, racing to the top, knowing that it took two moonsaults last time to finish Mayu. How many will it take this time? Do I have the energy? However, finally, after two matches, Mayu hits the two-step dragon suplex for the first time and to take the victory and both the belts ushering in this new beginning for stardom with Kyrie gone and Io on her way out of the company in less than a year. Um, a little thing to mention, obviously, due to the aforementioned neck injury, Io would go on hiatus until July 30th to recover from that neck bump. But even so, this was the perfect cathartic end of this entire storyline with Mayu. She felt, and you're absolutely right, with the way the crowd was built by the end of this match, she felt like the star. She felt like the new icon in stardom. Don't you agree? Yeah. And again, 95% of this is on Mayutani. She did, she built herself up. She's the one in, in the ring doing the work, but you don't get to that top spot. Not unless the number one person in the company is going to pull you up. So, and then EO basically did, you know, the final five or 10%. Again, you can tell that these two are really good friends in real life or just how giving and this entire trilogy and this entire trilogy, how she was to Mayu. And I thought the post-match promo was, was funny about how, you know, EO, she, she wanted, she wanted to be the one to put the belt on Mayu and she's trying and trying. There's this awkward silence and it probably only goes by about 30 seconds, but it feels like forever. And the crowd is just kind of like, Oh, what's cause she can't get the belt on. And then finally, EO grabs the microphone. She goes, ah, my, you're just too skinny. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was, we just saw like neck drop after neck drop and all this, like oh, this is brilliant storytelling. You're probably in the people in the crowd crying. And literally the last thing EO says to Ender Rain is, yeah, you're just too skinny. I can't put the belt on you. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was almost like they'd returned to the EO and Mayu of old you know, the Thunder Rock. So it was quite yeah. nice to have that. But yeah, I agree. I laughed at that too. <laughs> did they, now, did they ever team up again after this before EO left for WWE? Or? They definitely oh, they teamed up I, in EO's, EO's last, last match. match. I don't know. Yeah, that I know. But, but how about uh, prior to that, um, in between? Did they, did they ever get back together for like a 
like a random tag match or anything like that? I'd have to look. I'm not entirely sure. I imagine at some point they will have done in like the mask fiestas or something like that. They might well have done. I'm sure someone will be able to tell us. But off the top of my head, the only one that I can think of as 100% certain is uh, EO's last match in that tag match. Yeah, brilliant run. Absolute brilliant run. Fantastic run. I mean, we've reached the end of it now. 16 matches spanning two years from 2015 to 2017. 546 days. The second longest single reign with the World of Stardom Championship, even now. A total of five hours, 15 minutes and six seconds wrestled. An average match time of 22 minutes and 51 seconds. And an average match rating, according to me and Matt, of 4.22 stars. This is the pinnacle of the World of Stardom Championship. This is the pinnacle of match quality, of storytelling, of selling. And yes, there have been great runs since, but this, this was the pinnacle for the title, Matt. Yeah, when we were, when I was, I don't know if, if you watch uh, Big Bang Theory or Young Sheldon, um, or, you know, I don't know our listeners listen to it. Basically, it's based upon this character, Sheldon Cooper, who's this genius. I think he graduated college at age 12. And like his big thing is he loves homework. Oh, I, I can't wait to do more homework. I just love homework. That's what like this was when I was like, okay, you know, I have time for three EO matches today or two EO matches. I was like, I couldn't wait. I was like, okay, I have to do this for the for our pa- our Patreon episode. I was so looking forward to every single match, and it's just like, man, we really, in my opinion, we hit an absolute home run. We started at the top of the top for this Patreon, and we thank all of you. For, uh, for subscribing and listening and giving us the great feedback that you've been, you've been given. And I'm excited to see where we go from here because this, is, this was just absolutely great. Now, obviously, Rob, you, you do your research and you're, you're, you've watched a lot more stardom than you do. As far as in the history of stardom, who is, can you give me your number one wrestler in the history of stardom? Because for me, it's Io Shirai without a doubt. Now, obviously, Maya is still, you know, she's, it's got to be in everybody's top three or four. And she's still there, and she can obviously still will and can expand upon her legacy. But it's EO 1, 2, or 3. Like, where do you put EO as far as all-time stardom wrestlers? Because to me, it's, she's number one with a bullet. I mean, Mayu is Miss Stardom. You know, she's been there since the first show. She's still there now. She puts on fantastic matches. She could get, you know, the tap on the shoulder and have fantastic matches with whoever you put her in the ring with. She's, to this day one of the only people that can have decent matches with Fukuk and Death, which I think puts her at number one. But, I mean, you talk about name recognition, you talk about, you know, you've mentioned that Io's in the same breath as, in this run, she's in the same breath as the best in wrestling, not just the best in women's wrestling, the best in wrestling, full stop. And to be in that conversation, to have a reign like this, to be so well-known in a company that, let's face it, in 2015, 2016, wasn't the most well-known company, I think Io's got to be number one. She has to be number one. I mean, I imagine the members of Threedom are your top three in, you know, whatever order, 1A, 1B, 1C. But I think Io takes it. Um, Yeah, now you're basing that upon the uh, Christmas gift that my daughter made me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> but yeah you, you'd be right it's uh, we eos number one kari was number two but the more i'm going back in the catalog and watch these mayo tani even you know if you're going to list these even in this run if you're going to list the five matches 
Uh, to me, it's the three Mayu matches and then the, the two Kari matches. Um, so I think the more I'm going back into the catalog, and the, not only that, but the more stuff I'm watching Mayu Tani now in 2020, 21, and 22, I think that she's eventually going to bump Kari off and then Kari be number three. But yeah, the three of them is, is one, two, and three. And then four for me would probably be uh, either Momo or, or Rissa, which is another story for another day. But just absolutely, just what a brilliant run tremendous and what a way to start the patreon as as they say the only way is down from here but there we are um so thank you so much for those of you who have subscribed to our patreon we we cannot thank you enough um hopefully this is going to make it worth it fingers crossed obviously we'll be providing these uh these stardom cast extra episodes every other wednesday um obviously next will be on the 19th of January and we'll be doing a full match review of Matt Manchinder, Arisa Hashiki versus Tam Nakano in one of the greatest stardom matches stardom has ever put on. Um, just a quick little plug. Um, if you go to the Patreon page and go to the polls, there is a poll up at the moment to vote for what we are going to do for our February patreon episode so if i just quickly tell you what the votes are you can choose from there are five votes or there are five options should i say and we have got the momo watanabe white belt retrospective uh the stardom Goku cinderella champions fiesta 2013 review which of course is the last time before Dream Queendom that stardom ran Sumo Hall. A match review of Awida Tai versus Queen's Quest, the Loser Leaves Unit match from the seventh anniversary show. Um, a list of the top 10 hidden gems from stardom in 2021, or the Red Belt retrospective of Utami Hayashishita. Obviously, that has just ended. Those are your five options. We are going to take that poll down on the 19th of January, just so that myself and Matt have got enough time to watch everything before we record ready for February. Um, also, a little plug, the Stardom um, Living the Dream ebook that I wrote is now on sale. Um, you can buy it from the links that are pinned to my Twitter page at RealRobGoodwin. Um, you can get it in paper form or in ebook form. So any sort of uh, sharing or buying will be hugely, hugely appreciated. It has been a huge labor of love. Um, but in the meantime, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to check out our Facebook page at the Stardom Cast, our Twitter feed at Podmania. Um, you can, sorry, at the Stardom Cast. So used to doing the Podmania one. Um, you can talk to me on Twitter at, at RealRobCast. Goodwin. Uh, Matt, where can they find you? Look on Twitter and or the Instagram. Just uh, type in Matt Turner OF and uh, I'll be right there. Anything you want to talk about? Any questions, comments? The past couple days, I've been getting a lot of uh, positive feedback on the podcast, so it's greatly appreciated. Any questions or comments or you want to talk about anything, just hit me up on there and I'll get back to you as soon as I possibly can. And thank you so much for listening, guys. We really do appreciate it. Until the 19th of January, we shall see you guys again soon.
everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.